0: franchise from everything
1: well, I fall up and I fall down Loser the
0: day I was born
2: Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. Of course, we are here at a Shared Universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming, always taking great care of us. Behind the ones and twos, who else but uh, the big kahuna? What's up, man? Nobody Thank else could do be doing it. this for us, man. You came out on a Sunday. You came out early. Because
0: it's easy like a Sunday morning. I love this podcast. Uh, oh, t- look wow. how smooth
2: that one was. Yeah, wow. I'm uncomfortable here. Uh, <laughs> of course, also with us is uh, uh, the heart of the show, uh, my Dilf of a father, the heart Larry. Of the show. Yeah, how are <laughs> you, sir?
1: Yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Beautiful Sunday morning here. What, yeah. What better thing to do than to drive down to Eatontown and... Spend some quality time with the big kahuna. Well, I love that. And it's also not for nothing. It is a Sunday.
2: Um, It's not just any Sunday, okay? Uh, Dad, you have to go out to uh, Catholic Mass after this, right? Absolutely. And... um, that's a religious experience, much like my religious experience of watching the uh, series finale of Game of Thrones later on this evening. Well, that'll be after. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, back by popular demand, cousin Kate from the Hindenburg episode, one of our most popular episodes too, is back in wow. studio.
3: Thanks. All right, I'm very Kate. happy to be here it's, again.
2: Uh, also, you're here for the scholarly
1: effort. We, you know we're going right. to abuse that PhD ah. of yours. It's, <laughs> that's right. Basically,
2: you're here to
0: educate Big Kahuna again.
1: <laughs> yes, PhD piled higher and deeper.
0: Yep. <laughs>
2: But uh, we're very lucky we have a doctor on the show again, so I'm very That's happy it. about that one That's here. That's it. Um, now, it is early. Uh, what is it? If you drink before noon, you have a problem, they say? No. Okay. Well, we're all drinking before noon on this particular day. We're, we're
3: on vacation. <laughs> That's, <laughs> <how I'm...
2: laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's the day of rest. Well, uh, it, it's very funny, too, because uh, my father and I are drinking uh, Yingling Lagers. you know where those, uh, those are from originally, uh, Kahuna? Uh
1: nope. Big Kahuna's Big, big Hind, America's
2: <laughs> oldest brewery. Yeah, that's the cool part. It's America's oldest brewery, which I believe it's on the label here. 1829, it was Ooh. established. So, Yingling was up and running as a brewery out in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, during the time frame that today's story is taking place. in. so, we're not drinking <laughs> for enjoyment; we're drinking for no, historical accuracy. historical okay, purposes. Right. That's right. This is a matter of integrity. Am I right, Kate? Scholarly measures. <laughs> yes. That's Right. Um, we wanted to do this episode. Uh, originally, we we're going to have a guest on uh, a guy I consider to be a friend of mine. I have bummed. He's you know we we still deal with each other. And we We're going to have uh, the great Brian O'Halloran was going to join us for the show from uh, Dante from Clerks, in the whole uh, skeu- uh, view of Skew Universe.
0: Shut the fuck up.
2: Well, sorry. Um, <laughs> last minute, he had to pull out, so I just thought it was ironic that Dante, uh, you were supposed to be here today. <laughs> And uh, and he was not. so, But uh, he gave us permission. We're going to go ahead and move on with this episode. Kate, you did some awesome research. This is why we love you, by the way, Kate. You came in with note cards. I
0: do have some note cards. <laughs> it's, there's
2: there's effort behind That's this. The, you know what I mean? That's there's the a
0: select few club of people that come in here with notes. And I think she started the trend.
2: <laughs> well, the, uh, I got to give credit to, to Cousin Kelly, too, uh, Kate's oldest sister, because uh, the, the family members come in prepared. It's the comedians that come in like, yeah, whatever. I'll just fucking wing it. I'm
1: funny. So.
0: <laughs> but either episode, we always have fun. Well,
1: cousin Kate's got the edumacation thing. With you. <laughs> all that book trained, learning. Yeah. All that book learning. You well, better be paying. All that book learning and word reading. You better be paying. Years of taking notes. You better be paying attention here. Got <laughs> down a few things.
2: Yeah, her notes actually have citations too, so yeah. the credibility is through the roof. I, I
3: really them. wanted to write in green, but I couldn't find my green pen. No. So. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, oh. They're written in. It's I got like green on oh Blue, yeah. just blue.
2: <laughs> well, we got a weird one here for you today. And uh, there's a couple moments in this episode, just doing the research for it, that um, the story's wild to begin with. And then there's a couple, like, really sharp left turns. And then uh, we're going to have a nice jaw-dropping what-the-fuck moment for the kahuna here.
0: Oh, ha, ha, ha. And is there a, um, a, 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 a tie-in Jersey reference? That'll just complete um, yeah, the I got a time. weak one, but oh, uh,
2: nice, we got nice, something. Nice. Not bad. Well, the, this story not did, actually takes place in Pennsylvania, so that's kind of um, – I look at Pennsylvania as uh, we understand them. We're just glad we're not them. That's kind of how I feel about as, uh, the Jersey-Pennsylvania connection. But uh, I got no problem with them out there. But the state of Pennsylvania in 1979 issued a full pardon to an Irish immigrant by the name of uh, Jack Kehoe. All right, what a great friggin' Irish name, too, by the way. Jack Kehoe? Yeah, Jack Kehoe. Um, But uh, it feels like a detective agency or something like that, which oddly plays into the later half of the story. Uh, The only problem is, uh, you know, thank God this Jack Kehoe guy now finally gets a full pardon. Uh, He gets it um, in 1979. The uh, only problem is he was executed December eighteenth, eighteen seventy-eight, hundred years earlier.
4: Little too oh. late.
2: Yeah, yeah It's whoops, well. Government moves slowly. Whoops, yeah, slowly. There's channels. Right.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I think we might have screwed up about hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny We don't know because maybe
2: hundred years from now this podcast will take off. Who knows, right? We've never. <laughs> so there was that happening. hope. Yeah, we <laughs> they, une-
0: they unearth it in like a vault of podcasts that were just buried <laughs> when the there earth you ended. Go and it's on top for some reason, and then they just realize, wait a minute, there's
2: more? That's the beautiful thing here. We're also picking up international listeners. Uh, when, Kate, you were on for the Hindenburg episode, a lot of German listeners all of a sudden. So cool, cool. Yeah, They were pretty happy with that. Okay. And then... Um, we actually started getting listeners in Ireland now for the first time. So, if you're our listeners out in Ireland, thank you guys. I appreciate it. It Makes me feel good, you know. And then uh, our British listeners, we like you just the same. So, and the Russian listeners, you guys went away. I guess the midterm elections are over. You're not hacking my show anymore. <laughs> it is what it is. But uh, so this guy uh, John, also known as Blackjack Kehoe, uh, he was executed via hanging. Okay. Now, why is the state going to decide to issue this man a full pardon a hundred years after his execution? But uh, the problem is, Jackie is no ordinary man, and this story is goddamn ridiculous. All right, it still isn't fully understood today. Do you feel like um, I don't know, Kate? Because uh, we grew up in the family that we we have a, a pride about being Irish, right? Yeah, it's definitely um, most of that stemming from actively, your father. Actively, we were
4: actively <laughs> Irish.
2: Yes, right. Right, <laughs> the,
1: um, right. Yeah. you were cut out of the uh, the inheritance if uh, you did not actively participate.
3: He would offer to pay us a quarter if we could, like, name Irish tunes that he would play on the bagpipes. and stuff. Like, right. I'll give you 50 bucks if you just take yeah. step dancing lessons. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Name that tune, and I'll give you a quarter. Yep. We're actually We're talking was,
3: the 70s, baby. That was a lot of money to again. Yeah, a kid. By
2: order of Lawrence Patrick Burke, uh, your father is not allowed in the show yet because we he's just, he, even in his 80s, he's still too much of a wild card. Yeah. We're going to have to figure him out. <laughs> You're right. He said know? it
3: before, but he will speak
2: Irish Oh, Oh yeah. He'll just break time. my balls the entire show as I watch my $45 burn up for the studio. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the Irish, big personalities here. And uh, this guy, Jack Kehoe, is definitely one of them. He, uh, he was considered the central figure and also the king, quote, king, of the Molly Maguires. Kuhn, you ever heard of the uh, Molly Maguires? Yes, actually, but I don't know the whole thing You're thinking it. of Molly Hatchet. Uh, no, Spartan I'm not, disaster. actually. It's a <laughs> <laughs> well, the Molly Maguires are a secret society with roots that go all the way back to ancient Ireland, uh, and they were being blamed for beatings, killings, and other forms of, quote, terrorism uh, in the coal-mining anthracite region of Pennsylvania— during the Civil War and Reconstruction eras in the United States, and even before then, 20 years before the war.
0: Sounds like great partiers.
2: It's, uh, you didn't want to fuck with these guys. There's definitely, if you were called a Molly Maguire back oh. then, there was a mafioso vibe to it. This is a pre-Godfather uh, time frame here. Okay. But uh, there was definitely a Sopranos vibe to what these guys were doing. Uh, now, due to the increasingly terrible living conditions under uh, Protestant English rule, uh, thousands of Irish Catholics began emigrating to the United States, but the story of the Molly Maguires dates all the way back to Ireland. What's, uh, we, we talk about protest, right? Um, if there's a company that has a practice that you don't appreciate, uh, what is one form of protest against that company, Kahuna? A strike? A strike? That's one, Oh, that's for the, the laborers. Now, what if you're the consumer of the product and you don't want to partake in what they're doing?
0: You just don't buy, right? What's that,
2: what's that called? Do you know the term for it? Actually, no. It's a boycott.
0: Oh, boycott. <laughs> it's early.
2: Yeah, the only the guy who's not drinking is the one that's not sharp. Right now. That's weird. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, let me go get a Yingling. I'll be right back. You're good to go, <laughs> man.
2: But uh, on that note, here uh, the first of our "What the Fuck" moments, um, Dad. What is a boycott, and how did it get its name?
1: Well, just that, Just as Dakuna was alluding to here, a boycott is that you're not going to be purchasing a, a particular company's product or have anything to do with that particular. Um, practice Now, the boycott, the origin of the word, goes back to a guy back in Ireland. He happened to be a retired English Army officer, Captain Boycott. Uh, after he retires from the <laughs> British Army, he is hired as a overseer, if you will, for one of the English uh, landlords owning Irish property. Um, and he would run the, run the estate for the English Lord, um, who's still back in England. He, he's an absentee landlord. So Captain Boycott is now the guy that's collecting the rents. Which sounds like just a shitty superhero, by the All way. Right. He, <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, he's, uh, he's the guy that's responsible for collecting the, the rents of the tenant farmers who are predominantly um, Catholic. He's Protestant. The landlord, the owner of the property is is Protestant. So there's, there's that whole uh, religious thing uh, thrown in there. Uh, uh, Irish Protestants uh, versus Irish Catholics back then. Very uh, Sunni Shiite in nature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're all Christians, but uh, I hate you because you're a Catholic and you hate me because uh, <laughs> um, you're Protestant and back and forth. But anyhow, he's not real popular with the locals. Uh, and it's the locals who are actually running the farm and, and the small village kind of a thing. So you got to understand that this is a small, tight-knit little group kind of a thing. Well, um, there's um there's a, a movement going on right now trying to win Catholic emancipation throughout Ireland. and one of the one of the movements is the Irish National Land League. The Land League is trying to bring about changes in the whole thing up until, you know, not too long ago, an Irish Catholic couldn't even own property. You were forbidden by English law to even own property that could only uh, be, have to be Protestant to own the property. Well, anyhow, um, one of the tactics of the Land League is, all right, when this guy, Captain Boycott, comes into town, nobody's allowed to do business with him. He can't – not, you're not going to sell him anything. You're, not, you're, you're just going to be ostracized by the entire community kind of a thing. <laughs> and now when the time comes for the harvest, when they would normally be handling uh, or hiring um, some of the locals as temporary laborers to bring in the harvest, everybody refuses. Um, that they're not going to help this guy out. Well, now, he's large and in charge. And- uh, a scarlet letter of sorts. Yeah, right. So they exactly. boycotted boycott? They, well, <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the term Which came about. Which reminds me of Robin Hood men in tights.
2: When, uh, <laughs> yeah. They arrest Prince John at the end and they say, uh, Patrick Stewart, the, the king now says, and uh, all the toilets in the land will now be known Who's as John's.
1: John's. <laughs> right. So there's That's your boycott. Really cool, though. I had yeah,
3: no, yeah. no idea about
1: yeah, that. Yeah, so that whole term boycott came from Captain Boycott. And then there was a whole big uh, brouhaha over that whole thing because now when the, the uh, local Catholics refuse to have anything to do with Captain Boycott, some of the boys in uh, the north of Ireland or up in Ulster, there's another society or, or – uh, group called the orange order and they get wind of this and you know there's a whole um and the orange order is predominantly all, all protestant so now they're coming to his aid um that they send about 50 laborers protestant laborers down from the north to bring in the crops so captain boycott can continue on um the army gets involved that they're they're being uh, led there under military guard and everything else, so it ends up costing the, the British government uh at least uh, uh ten thousand pounds to bring in a harvest that's probably worth about five hundred worth five hundred <laughs> pounds worth of crops sweet um but, yeah, you know again it's just the whole government backing of uh again we're we're still trying to get the bit of a box the yeah, yeah right right right. <laughs> And, uh, that's like student loan numbers. But, that's you know, that's, good that's all. truly where the, the term boycott to gave me ostracize to have be. nothing to do with that person, uh, that's really where really it came about.
3: I think it's important to mention, too, that the law that Irish Catholics could not own property, I'm, I'm not exactly sure when that came into being, but I think in the 16th century, but up until that point. They owned property, and so when that law was enacted, it was like, okay, here's property that was in your family for who even knows how long. Right. It's not yours anymore. Right. Get out. Now you're this servant. Right. <clears throat> so I mean, well, it's, it's weird too because you
2: got to focus on England. Uh, who's going to be the king in England? Imagine that you own because you own a very nice house. You had Easter this year, which was great. Uh, my advertisement said it was a cousin Megan's house. That was to throw you guys off. It was a cousin Kate's house. Right? <laughs> we had a great time. That was awesome. It was oh, so. Ha- it was great to came. be the great weather and everything too. Um, but imagine you own your house for all these years, and then you're going to find out because a, a king in another country is of a different religion, you might not own your house anymore.
3: Right? You got to move out. Yeah, kind
2: of wild <laughs> shit here. But uh, Ireland at the time, and that is a great point too, Kate. Uh, but mostly an agrarian economy, so you would have fit right in. You know, planting shit, hanging out in the woods.
3: That's where it came from, I
2: guess. (laughs) 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 There you go. It's part of your heritage. Well, they had uh, large amounts of uh, farms and livestock, and then due to the British rule, like we were talking about here with that Sunni Shiite thing, much of the agriculture from Ireland was being hoarded by the upper class and/or uh, exported for financial gain. Yeah,
1: so, another part of the, another aspect of that whole thing too is with the Great Potato Famine or the Great Hunger from the 1840s. Uh, now you had millions of people starving, millions of people emigrating to get away from the try to find a better life. I mean, the Irish Catholic had always been viewed as a problem to the to the English government.
2: <laughs> you right. got to see the political cartoons, by the way. It is it's ape like features, little goblins wearing the the hats. I mean, it is. It's pretty funny. Right.
1: I, mean, I mean, that was such a, a financial disaster that um, up until that point, um, there was a lot of tenant farmers. In other words, you used to own the property. We took the property away from you. Now we're going to let you rent your own, what used to be yours, that you'd have to pay the land. You're still
3: going to work pay. it, but it's <laughs> not
1: yours. <laughs> right, right. It's not yours. Oh, and by the way, um, 10% of whatever you do happen to make after renting the property and, and everything else, 10%, there's going to be a tithe to the uh, Protestant Church or the Church of Ireland mm-hmm. um, that you have no affiliation with. Church but of England. Everybody still has to pay that 10% tithe, whether you are a parishioner or not. And oftentimes, that 10% of your wages that or your earnings, your gross, is going to go to um, perhaps a clergyman who's not even anywhere remotely near you that it's you know maybe a county away kind of a thing. Your tax dollars at work. Um, <laughs> you, know, you, you talk about a separation of church and state. Uh, no, not so much. But, you know, um, but um, with all the difficulties they had with all of that, a lot of the landowners, a lot of the um, English and, and, and Protestant landowners decided, well, the hell with this tenant farmer thing. We're just going to throw them off the property and instead of raising crops, now we're going to go more into cattle and livestock because that's a whole lot easier. You just put the sheep and the cattle out onto the, onto the pastures, and uh, you know um, you'll, we'll take care of that when the time comes to, to slaughter the, um, slaughter the livestock. That you don't have to deal with. Uh,
3: they virtually the move themselves to right. the slaughterhouse.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. You don't have to deal with the human factor. All the work factor. is,
3: for, is the, all
0: the work's already right. done. So, <laughs> so you, you can't
2: could... plow those fields because you need the grass to grow so that the, the cows and livestock and graze right. and everything. So then you also really can't have people building a house in the middle of your field. That's oh, right. where my cows eat. So now they also start upping the rent, too, because a lot of them, now they own this. You're going to get unpayable rents. We bitch about not being able to afford rent here. I mean, at least I do out loud. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Um,
1: a rent control department was uh, not really uh <laughs> of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: it wasn't like uh, quite like uh, what's going on out there today. But the uh, the Irish are very interesting because uh, they're getting charged these unpayable rents, and now the food prices are soaring. For as you guys said, the food that they're largely preparing. Okay, so they're getting cut out of the loop here. Um, now I don't know if you guys know this, but um, the Irish have a little bit of a temper. You don't say.
1: So, uh, of no, course, this leads to. Uh, the cr- that's total stereotype. Come on now. I agree with you. It's uh, a. <laughs> uh, my. my, my well, even keel.
2: We get along great. We get along great. I want everybody, all listeners at home, to know I love my dad. He's uh, uh, one of the. I mean, I, you're my favorite dude in the universe in a lot of ways. But uh, every now and then we'd butt heads. And uh, I think one of your quotes was. You want to see an Irish temper because I'll show you an Irish (laughs) temper. (laughs) And I was always like, uh, you know, that's when up up until that moment, I was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then when you said that, (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm going to go for a bike (laughs) ride. So uh, but yeah, the Irish have a little bit of a temper here. They go ahead and create these secret societies, which uh, I thought was interesting here. Um, They are known to uh, uh, talk a little treason in the back rooms, if you will. But two of the most prominent early groups were known as the uh, Ribbon Men. Who I believe, Dad, you were saying that's the guys that wind up turning into the Orange Order, right? Correct. Now we are tying from an earlier episode: the orange and the green uh, in the Ira- the flag of Ireland that was created in part by Thomas Francis Maher of the Irish Brigade. The green is the Free and Green, the orange is the Orange Order, and then the white in the middle is the truce between the two. So that's the the, the like, tricolour hey of the
1: Irish. The national. Yeah, we're flag. preaching
2: peace. It didn't go over good, but um, uh, anyway, you got the the Ribbon Men over here who were interesting. The other group was known as the White Boys. Okay, which meant something a little bit different when I lived in Jacksonville. But uh, (laughs) uh, the white boys were known for nighttime raids against tenant farmers who continued their, quote, unfair practices the raids would consist of destroying fences, uh, plowing fields that were intended for pasture grazing. So coming out there and just fucking up your garden, Kate. Um, (laughs) Better not do it. (laughs) That's right. She
1: also has an Irish
2: temper. (laughs) The the killing of livestock uh, as well. uh, Sorry, PETA. And um, the occasional beatings of the truly unforgivable uh, transgressors. And then if the situation called for it, uh, execution. So they weren't afraid to get their hands dirty here. But... uh, Now, another thing I thought was interesting about the white boys, they would wear these white gowns uh, while they were conducting their nighttime raids.
3: And wear makeup.
2: Yep, a lot of makeup. Uh, I mean... Try to look like the ladies. Yeah, the Irish are a little gay. I don't mean that as a pejorative. I just mean they're like, oh, it's a, hey, what if we get out there and, you know, let's get out there and just start the fight. Let's right the wrongs and... Um, can we have accessories? <laughs>
1: <laughs> accessorize, accessorize.
2: <laughs> well, the the Molly Maguires, as they would later become known, too. Uh, Kate, you're right. They would. Uh, did you hear about what they would put on their faces?
3: I only heard about the makeup. I don't.
2: They would. Uh, they would burn um, cork, and then they would blacken their faces, so you wouldn't be able to see who they. So oh, okay. It was very, okay. So it, uh, again, not quite cultural appropriation yet. I don't think that. Ireland. And they were called the white boys? Uh, well, the, the white boys were – the Molly Maguires went into the, uh, the the face darkening, if you will. But the other thing that made me laugh about this is that these guys, um, a lot of the societies would dress as women in order to be able to meet in public without attracting attention. So, again, it's very um, – I just picture like a bunch of David Bowies getting together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, was,
3: I think that would attract some attention. It's right,
2: right, right, right. Well, it depends on your locale, though. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so yeah. Essentially, it's a uh, uh, Greenwich Village is coming to Ireland here.
0: Oh God! <laughs> and um,
2: <laughs> but they would do that. They would dress as women in order to avoid identification. This is one of my favorite things here. This is what, one of the tactics of when uh, these secret societies. A lot of them molded in together to, to form what we're going to talk about today in the Molly Maguires. One of their tactics was, and this even came uh, into place in America, but it started in Ireland. They would send in, one of the Mollies would be dressed uh, as a, a an old feeble woman, right? And she'd go in there in you know, her full you know, costume and whatnot and beg a store owner for a bag of flour. and if, uh, So she
1: could feed the children.
2: Right, so she could feed her starving children back home. And if the store owner refused it, the other Mollies would then bust in, rob the guy blind and
1: say, better start being nicer to old ladies.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. We gave you the opportunity That's to do the. That's r- pretty yeah.
4: yeah.
1: yeah. We gave you the opportunity to do the right thing, and you didn't do it.
2: So. Well, imagine you're on a, a city street, and uh, you know, homeless guy's asking for change. You know, around all these people, and then you say no, and then all the other homeless people get up and say, "You want to try that one again, bud?" Right. <laughs> so. Plus,
3: that shopkeeper's just trying to raise his family too. For exactly. crying out loud. A- <laughs> that flower wasn't for free.
2: Uh, but uh, that was—I thought that was a funny tactic here on the their end, but. Um, Again, it's all part of this uh, unification of the, quote, agrarian society. So they're the the people defending the farmers. And um, I thought it was very interesting, too, because the story of the beginning of the Molly Maguires goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Dad, with these brutal eviction policies of the time. And uh, there was a story. This is kind of a legend. They couldn't prove this one. But uh, it's supposedly the story that becomes the namesake of the Maguires is that there was a poor woman who had absolutely – she was an older lady, had nowhere else to go. She'd been evicted from her home. Uh, and then, due to having nowhere else to go and no recourse, because there's no justice, there's no appeal system or anything like that, uh, rather than face a life as a uh, uh, the shame of a homeless woman, or being forced to you know go to a house of ill refute, whatever you'd have, pretty much it's desperate
1: times. Right, you have no you, know, you have no choices left. Right, she decided no options. You know, in, in a very
2: noble act, I thought she decided that she was going to uh, stay inside of her home during its demolition. So they're they're literally knocking her house down, and she's in the house, dies in the house. And uh, they said that her name was Molly Maguire and that the young men of the neighborhood decided that they were going to call themselves the Molly Maguires because it was justice for Molly Maguire. So, ah, the hairs on my arm stood up a little hey,
1: bit. Sorry. Oh, damn. <laughs> In tribute to Molly uh they're gonna take some
2: action. Yeah. So she became a, a complete symbol for them, and it's a, it's a weird thing too because it starts off as a great idea, and then uh, once you know, I'm sure Molly wasn't happy with that once they got labeled as terrorists. But <laughs> 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 there's some nice girl out there named ISIS who's saying, "I don't understand."
3: <laughs> yes, but to the Empire, Luke Skywalker was a terrorist. That's,
2: right? a, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Always confusing you just on that my one. My right? favorite person. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> nah, Kate's a winner. That's why I'm happy she's here. But. Uh, now this one, one uh, man's
1: got, terrorist is another man's freedom
2: fighter. That's right. Always. That's right. It's a oh, there's also a great quote from the movie The Devil's Own, talking about uh, the troubles in Ireland. Because uh, around that time, it was uh, the the Northern Ireland was still you know a very contentious place. But uh, Brad Pitt has a line that I thought was great. He goes, "You know what they say over in Ireland? Uh, the more you think you know, the more confused you are." So, <laughs> true. We're, wow. we're talking about it on the car ride down the look of the Irish. That has to be sarcastic. it, yeah. ne- <laughs> it never works out. Right. <laughs> Not <Fair>. once. <laughs> Right, but uh, now jump in here. Uh, if I, if, if you guys have notes on anything else too, because the story it moves fast. All of a sudden, um, you got the Molly Maguires. We've established them. Uh, we know what they're all about here. But uh, they use this uh, symbol as their identity and the call to arms for the young Catholic men to join together to fight the uh, oppression that they're facing. But the Mollies are—they're not just a brute force of angry drunks. Okay, this isn't just a, a bunch of offensive linemen wanting to knock people around. Uh, there's probably a couple of them in their ranks anyway, but. They had organized units, and I thought this was cool. They had a set of published guidelines, Kahuna. All right, so imagine the Avengers have a meeting, and they say, well, here's our guidelines, here's what we're all about. Right. You know? Yeah, we they tried that. <laughs> Civil War. <laughs> I'd see, I to watch these movies then. Um. So wait,
3: so back in Ireland, they had a set of written guidelines?
2: Yes, yes which was, uh, it was printed in newspapers, and there was a lot of codes, there were certain things they would do. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Wait, L- they printed their own rules in the newspaper? Uh, it would be ways of saying, well, uh, now there's there's let's say this society of the Molly Maguire's. Now also by the way, keep in mind, you didn't want to talk about
1: them.
0: You know, it's like if the mob published their rules in the newspaper, it, it's yeah, but very it's not similar. really
1: the mob. This this you're you're looking at this as the mob kind of a thing, but it's also an organization to fight social injustice. So, I mean, they have... Looking back on it now, they like, have no They have noble intentions kind of a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not it's not just you for
3: making money. It's because my goddamn kids are starving So, and it's star- so it
0: started, no- started nobly
2: and then just kind of s- snowballed worse and worse from there. As the story goes, I think, um...
3: Kind of keeps the same theme in my mind. Yeah. Really? really um, they yeah.
2: get done pretty dirty here. That's why I say that the story's going to move fast all of a sudden. But I just wanted to go over the rules of, um the The fair value um if you will, for um the landlord here um no rent to be paid until harvest, so you can't charge people rent if they don't have you know money to pay
1: so right it, i mean we, you're you're talking about an agrarian society here mm-hmm. that that every you know ninety percent of ireland is is now working in agriculture, and then um you're expecting somebody to to uh, pay the rent before in you
3: April, have, yeah, I
1: mean, <laughs> in April. Growing <laughs> right. We just got through the rainy season, and now we're going to try to put some stuff into the ground, and hopefully by uh, by September we're going to have something that's going to be marketable goods. And uh, so you got that. You have uh, that no rent until harvest,
2: like we said. Then not even uh, then without an abatement when the land is too high. All right. So if they're scoring around with that stuff, no undermining of tenants, nor bailiffs' fees to be paid. So don't uh, don't start you know don't mess with the people that are already in there. Um, now, assist to the utmost of your power, the good landlord, in getting his rents. So if you got a guy that's fair, you back him up. Right? So they're not saying death to all landlords. They're saying if right. you have unfair practices, we're cracking down on right. you. So uh, let's see. Cherish and respect the good landlord and the good agent. Uh, keep from traveling by night. You can see in the story they violate that quite often. Um, take no arms by day or by night from any man. As from such acts, a deal of misfortune springs, having, I trust you have, more arms than you will ever have need for. So they kind of have that Shakespearean way of saying things like, well, don't steal other people's guns. That's
1: kind of what I'm getting out of that. Yeah, but at the same time, an Irish Catholic was forbidden to own a gun. Mm-hmm. So that, that, you know... Uh, our Second Amendment rights of the right to bear arms in this country, uh, not so much over in Ireland in the time.
2: That's what gets interesting mm-hmm. too, because now the next rule is avoid coming in contact with either the military or the police. They are only doing what they cannot help. So they're saying, "Hey, you guys, are, you're just trying to make a living too, man. Let's not make you guys our enemies." They're
3: not making the rules. They're just they're telling them, the other ones. guys yeah, tell them to
0: them do The it Nazis were just following orders.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Jesus. Ugh. But. Uh, <laughs> For my sake, then, no distinction to any man on account of his religion, his acts alone you are to look to. Okay. And then uh, finally, the very – this one almost reads sarcastic as well. Let bygones be bygones. (laughs) Unless. In a very glaring case, but watch for the time to come. So, hey, man, let that shit slide. Just wait back. Take your vengeance when you're ready for it. (laughs) That was the shit. Catholic
3: priest saying, "You gotta stick. Let bygones turn, the, right. other cheek <laughs> turn there, the other cheek, and you have to stick that in
2: there. Uh, turn the other cheek, and then, uh, then you know, when
3: they're not st- looking, stab them in the back.
2: Oh, that's, <laughs> it uh, not too far off, Kate. Um, <laughs> well, due to the uh, continued difficult living conditions in Ireland and the increasing toll of the Irish potato famine, which LP, I know you like to always make sure people know, it's not that the potato crop." Uh, the potato crop failed, there was potato blight. Am right. I correct? A right. fungus
3: totally made yeah. the potatoes rot in right. the ground.
2: And so that was the only thing that they were allowed to have. They were growing other things, but the tenant farmers were, you know, not allowed to hang on to because the landlords were taking it and shipping a lot of that overseas. Well it
1: wasn't so much that they weren't allowed, it was just that if you're a poor tenant farmer and you're working the landlord's crops, the only thing that you're gonna sustain your own family with is probably going to be the the potato because it's so easily grown, and has high nutritional value that, you know, just an ungodly amount of potatoes were being consumed by the Irish simply because that was pretty much the only thing that was going to sustain life. That was uh, they could grow in the meager little uh, plot of ground that they were given to work for their own for their own family. Well, we had a guy at uh, work
2: when I worked for... Uh, I don't work for him anymore, so I can say the name of the company, but... Uh,
1: nah, you no, know, don't, don't be burning.
2: No, uh, it's not a the bridge, but I'll put it this way. The, the guy who worked there, it was a plumbing company, and uh, his name was Harley, right? We loved him. Great guy. Uh, but he's the kind of guy that if monster energy drinks were to disappear tomorrow, dead within 32 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so... That, that was his potato famine as oh, that was okay. to ever happen here. That was but, uh, a substance. Yeah, he lived pretty much off of those exclusively. It was okay. weird. You ever see a guy drink a monster and then fall asleep on a couch? <laughs> Didn't think it was possible. Watched it happen myself.
3: I've never drank a monster. <laughs>
2: uh, you're, let me tell you, uh, tachycardia in a can. <laughs> no, you're not missing anything. Um, but uh, So now the, uh, the potato blight thing's happening here where these people are being starved out, and this has this mass uh, exodus, if you will. Of the uh, immigration to America is now reaching record highs for the Irish. They braved the passage uh, to America in order to finally get a chance to leave behind the oppressive ways of the white Anglo Saxon Protestant abusers from England in exchange for oppression from the white Anglo Saxon Protestants in America. (laughs) So, more of the same here. It's like, I couldn't imagine it too, is that, uh, you know, you try moving in with somebody and uh, you're like, oh, it's just a shitty apartment. Then you move into, you know, the two of you move into another place and you're just like, Ah, it's a shitty apartment. Then you move into a house together, and you're like, oh, I just hate you.
3: Right. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> you suck. Sorry.
1: Right. If that one sounded personal, guys, it was. <laughs> yeah. You're not only a shitty roommate you're or apartment mate. Now you're a shitty housemate. <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I still can't get away from you, and I have multiple rooms.
2: Also true. Uh, um, but it was interesting, because at this time, the American tensions are rising due to the pending civil war here, and the Irish immigrants are fighting on both sides of the conflict. Um there was the Irish Brigade we talked about with Thomas Francis Maher and all those guys, and the Irish were definitely well-represented in the Union, but they were also well-represented uh, down in the Confederacy. So you get people on both sides of the war here.
3: I mean, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it just kind of where they ended up emigrating to which port?
2: Right, exactly. Pretty much, yes. Right. Well, because you'd get off the boat, as we talked about in other episodes, uh, especially – there's that great scene in Gangs in New York that the Irish uh, men are walking off the boat. And you're immediately being offered a... oh
3: three hots and a cot. Three,
2: right. Exactly. Three <laughs> hots and a We're gonna
1: cot. We're going to give you a nice wool uniform. Yeah. We're going to feed you. to America. Here's yeah. a gun. Right. Was All that
3: right. not Patrick Francis Burke, his experience? No,
1: he actually came in before the Civil War, but oh, okay. uh, he, he re-upped with a, a volunteer uh, uh, unit. Now,
2: when we say volunteer, it's hilarious, too, because there's the idea of the volunteers, but there's also a draft going on, which... Um, I wasn't able to adjust the numbers for inflation, but I believe at the time it was a, a $300 uh, fee in order to uh, get somebody else to go in your stead. Right. That's
3: like a yearly wage for labor.
2: It was their entire – so you're pretty much saying, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, your entire wage this year and then you don't have to go to war or you know, you got to go fight for the, quote, rich man's war. Right. I mean, if, so- you
1: gotta, if you're a poor – Irish immigrant just get, who was able to scrape up the money to come across the Atlantic on what they called coffin ships. In other words, they would just pack these things solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the ship made it, okay, fine. If not, if, if the, not, shi- if so the ship whatever. went down, well... Just a
3: few less Irish Catholics we have to deal <laughs> with, so exactly, that's good. Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> but now you're arriving in New York, you're coming down the gangplank, and there's an Army recruiting officer there to greet you and uh, is offering you... Um, In some cities, a signing bonus that if you signed up, we were going to pay you $300 just to sign up to, to join the Union Army. Shit, $300 might have been a year's wage in America, but it was probably five years' worth of wages Back home in the old country, they're like holy crap! Welcome to America. Now they're gonna they're gonna shoot at you, and they're gonna send you in on the on the first wave on some of these frontal assaults. But uh, hey, you know you take your chances.
2: <laughs> South Park has one of those really messed up lines too. That uh, they had uh, the, the black troops that they were using in the, oh uh, my the war God. with Canada. uh, In the movie? Yeah, it was Operation Get Behind the Darkies. (laughs) And and Chef just goes, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) When we first realized, he goes, hey, wait a minute.
3: (laughs) South Park never ceases to amaze. Uh, Uh,
2: There is a Molly Maguire tie-in to South Park that we're going to hit in a minute, which I'm pretty happy about. Um, Now, there are these things going on in major cities, most notably Baltimore and New York City, where because of the the fee, in order to have someone go in your stead, uh, there's absolute riots breaking out. The whole end of Gangs in New York right. is the New York City draft riots, which we will cover in another episode. But the Irish aren't too happy with that, are they, Dad? No, no. No. Why would the Irish Catholics who are trying to escape oppression want to go fight in a war against people they've never met in a country they just got to? I kind of get it.
4: Well,
3: I also read too that, in all honesty, like they they were taking the position, we don't want all these slaves to be freed because then they're going competition to become for the competition jobs. for the jobs that right. they have. As crappy as the jobs are, like
2: yeah, it's literally when we say job uh,
0: competition is job competition. Yeah, yeah. So when
2: Jeez. we say shoveling shit for a living, we're joking. But keep in mind, main source of transportation at the time is horses, so there was a lot of people that were legitimately shoveling shit for a living. Uh, not a great gig to have, but again, you don't want to lose
1: it to somebody else either. But it's at least a, it's a job, exactly. It's it, it's something that um, you know. Some of the earlier earlier jobs were you know. Well, we'll let the immigrants take care of that, whoever the immigrants might be. That if you got you know all these horses riding around, that was the the main means of transportation. The the streets are literally covered in horse shit. Well, somebody's got to be cleaning that up. So that was a a, a civil servant job that. Uh, <laughs> Your sanitation, well, not quite the same as sanitation today, but um, you're still, you're literally sh- shoveling shit.
2: Well, me back then, too, would be shoveling the shit, and then I'm just telling the other guy, I'm shoveling the shit with, man, I'm just doing this till my comedy thing takes off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What are we going to say, Kate?
3: Well, let's not forget that people were also throwing buckets of human shit out the window That's onto right. the street. Because there is no,
1: there's no public sanitation, which, you know, or no out the plumbing. back window. right? <laughs> Kahuna
2: just gave a look like oh we you guys all stopped doing that (laughs) that just freaked me out bud Uh, just recently well uh, America at the time still a Protestant country by and large and many of the Irish Catholics are seeing the same hardships that they bore in Ireland coming to life here again in America Um, it's definitely a Protestant uh, country for the most part and people we're weirded out by because I mean we grew up in the area there's so many you go down south there's not a whole lot of Catholics down there It's a lot of Reformed Lutherans Baptists shit like that but um what uh, I try to explain to people we try to learn for the the term what's that what's that great word we taught you on the way down Dad, for the spirit of the times zeitgeist yeah <laughs> English major coming in look at
1: that that's from an industrial arts freaking shop teacher <laughs> <laughs> I like
2: I don't want a zeitgeist at you. yeah it comes from the German but um, <laughs> so the zeitgeist for this one was that uh, the Catholics uh, literally have another king so it's that uh, you, that's why I didn't like him here because we have a president in this country. And uh, that the president makes the decisions for us. Uh, we aren't in monarchy, and you guys still have a form of monarchy that you worship the king in the pointy hat over in the Vatican. So your wizard king tells you what to do, and you have to obey, you know, obey his orders. It's a little concerning. a
0: good-ish wizard king. Yeah. So <laughs> goodish.
2: Good-ish. good good-ish. Right, Well right. said. <laughs> well, uh, now, some people are able to overcome the obstacles that are in uh, being thrown in front of them and achieve some success. One of these guys is uh, the aforementioned Jack Kehoe. All right? And Jack was uh, one of the men... He had some education back in Ireland before immigrating at age 12 to uh, America and uh, spends a little bit of time down in the coal mines. All right. So when you're in, uh, I guess you would call that Western Pennsylvania, right? Is that fair Eastern to say? Eastern
1: Pennsylvania. Eastern.
2: The anthracite region, um, which I did a gig at uh, in anthracite uh, Pennsylvania one time. And you walk into this giant gorgeous hotel and it's just a huge piece of coal. is sitting in the middle of the, the lobby. like That's like they're presenting it like a ruby, you know, kind right. of a cool <laughs> thing. So they take this shit seriously out there.
3: I don't mean to be a total nerd here, but I have
4: to say, <laughs>
3: coal, natural gas, they're fossil fuels. Fossil fuels come from ancient life, like 200, 300 million years ago. I want to know what was going on in Pennsylvania 300 million years ago that all these fossil fuels were
0: there. That's cool. I like thinking yeah, about yeah, that right, kind of right, stuff, right? right? So it must the- have just been bulging with life.
2: Lot of you dinosaurs You never and shit.
0: thought the bigger picture on the coal industry in <laughs> Pennsylvania <laughs> until this very moment. Yeah. That's why Kate's fun to talk to. Thanks, Kate. Um, <laughs> that is actually Sorry, a cool thought. Yeah. No, that's a cool thought, actually.
1: Not Geologically even a and everything else. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, you got a thought in Big
0: Kahuna, so oh, there's good, a good, point good. to you anyway. <laughs> um,
1: now, uh, so...
2: At that time, it would have been uh, bustling with life, like you said, back in uh, you know, the, I guess the old Pangea days. but yeah. <laughs> um, So now, what's crazy is that now there's this huge population boom. Now, at this time in the 1840s, for uh, the Carbon County anthracite region of uh, Pennsylvania, all these people are going out there because there's work to be had in the coal mines. But the uh, the infrastructure they have can't keep up with the people. This is we talk about the Wild West. This was the Wild
1: East, pretty much. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. I mean, and for all these the huge immigrant wave that's coming across um all these coal mining operations are promising you wages that to your mindset back in the old country that sounds like a whole lot of money so, yeah, let's let's jump in. Let's get into Pennsylvania, man, because that's uh, – they, you know, they got jobs, and, they, and they're going to pay you $3 a day? What, are you kidding me? That's awesome until you get there. But they were loading the immigrants into boxcars in the railroad and, and bringing them out there by the boxcar load. Just like to, Florida. Just to try to find <laughs> – just to find a, a better life, right, a new way of life. But the, once they get there, they realize, eh, hey, not so much. Pennsylvania's
0: not all as cracked up to be. Just as anyone who travels there today. Well, work,
1: <laughs> working in the coal mines is certainly not cracked up. But it was, you know, the, it wasn't no. quite the picture that, that was painted. How do
0: you hype up working in a coal mine?
1: It's bad that come on down Zoolander and get some it. cancer. <laughs> well. Uh, well,
2: if you lived long enough to die of the cancer back then, you won. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So. Right. Let me guess. Mine collapses and all that fun stuff. Very close. Uh, Keho is uh, over there, and he is witnessing firsthand while he's working in the mines. He's a smart guy, so he gets himself out. Of it. He becomes a tavern owner later on. But um, and we talk about his story here, which you know maybe it didn't work out the best way it could have for him, but. Uh, He's witnessing firsthand wage cuts, abuse from the bosses, malpractices of the private coal companies, and a total disregard for worker safeties, as well as a clear prejudice shown towards his fellow Irish Catholics. The Irish were being given the most dangerous and least lucrative jobs in the mines, while if you were of Scottish, Welsh, or uh, you know even German or, or specifically English, that was if you were an English you process. You management position. are a foreman. Exactly. That's how that worked. Exactly. My current company, they were saying, um, and they were like, "Oh, did you? Uh, are you Polish?" And I said, "No." I said. Well, say you are in the interview. It might go somewhere. <laughs> it's a Polish company I work for. but um, Anyway, uh, about 22,000 people in Pennsylvania worked in the coal mines. About uh, 5,500 of them were children.
1: Okay? Whoa. Yeah. Now, this is not just Pennsylvania, though. This is in one particular county. Pronounce the, we, we fucked up the county's pronunciation the entire car ride I'm down. Going oh, yeah, s- I'm, I'm going with Schuylkill.
2: Schuylkill?
3: Oh, I'm going with... Uh... Shukil
2: Shuk. I like that, okay <laughs> Someone will correct My buddy Davey Bohannon from boot camp uh, He's a PA guy I'm going to have him find out the correct pronunciation of that for us And get back to me But, um, yeah, so that one county in there, it's insane 5,500 of the people working in the mines are uh, children Men would live and die in the mines They'd begin as children And then as a reward, after their bodies began to fail them They'd get a nice cushy retirement gig Of uh, loading the coal instead of mining for it
3: But that's less money
1: Yep Right <laughs> <laughs> but you could you could perform less work, so you you weren't given the wages. You, they would start hiring kids, and um, the kids one of their jobs would be a breaker. In other words, as the coal is coming out of the mine, and it would be dumped, the, the kids would be in the in the coal pile, separating the slate from the coal. So and then breakers would take the big, huge chunks of, of coal and breaking it down into smaller pieces that they would be able to be processed and loaded into the boxcars to take into the, to the cities. Um,
2: well, you only know, we have to ask Kate one specific question, though, right? So, not putting your business out there, but uh, Uncle Bobby, in his 80s, right? And uh, you, have, uh, you have a son. Uncle uh, oh,
1: Bobby, her father. Her mm-hmm. father yes, my dad. Is, uh, yeah.
2: And uh, so now um, uh, you have a son named Bobcat, who's hilarious.
1: I do, I uh, do. How old is Bobcat right now?
3: Ten, baby. Well, so,
1: he's a, he's, he's double a breaker. Double now. In the coal mines, he'd be a breaker. A break, Like so breaking he'd be, the He'd be, he'd be uh, he, he'd breaking the coal apart, pulling out the slates. With
3: his worm arms?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Poor Wait, kid. We? Well, he might not be paid as much then. <laughs> I mean, if you can't
2: give him you know, an honest day's work. But just picture uh, you know, your father, my Uncle Bobby, um, and uh, your son, the Bobcat, uh, working together. And huh? the opposite ends of. They're sitting there that... Uh, Bobcat's breaking the coal, and then uh, Uncle Bobby's loading it, and then they both go back home to uh, you know, I guess the tavern together. Maybe they start boozing. Maybe that's what. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's brutal, right? That that as soon as I tried to put those numbers in place, it kind of you know it it gave you a really skeevy feeling about the practices out there. Yeah, except.
3: 80-year-old Uncle Bobby was probably really 45 and still looked the same because life in a coal mine's pretty goddamn tough.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens quickly.
2: Absolutely. I don't think he's summering in Ireland on those wages uh, either. No. no. and
0: uh, It's wild. I didn't know it was that
2: sketchy either. Like, it, it I never, worse, I never
0: knew about that. I didn't know it was that bad when mining started happening in Pennsylvania. Uh,
1: the, well, the mining really started to take off after they – Timbered out that whole area twice over. I mean, the, the old growth was gone, and now the second um, deforestation of Pennsylvania, if you will, took place Jeez. because wood was the fuel. I mean, that was that was the big product. And then, with the, uh, the being able to process the coal, now you're going to be heating your home with uh, coal rather than with wood. And you know Pennsylvania had a a, a, a whole bunch of, of uh, coal, but there was uh, a song that hit the uh, hit the charts uh, back in the middle fifties.
0: Working in the coal mine. No, <laughs> that's another one. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: Everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that, that's another thing about Pennsylvania. How can you possibly have a town named Jersey Shore? It's in the middle of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Wait, what? Right?
3: There's a town called Jersey, yeah. Jersey
1: Shore yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. They just
3: wish they were there. That's right. Exactly. Kind of
1: That's what you're dreaming of going
2: down <laughs> Most to the Most people board. see right through it, but one out of every ten come in and rent a hotel room anyway. <laughs> right. Our economy's based on lies. <laughs> Would you like the
0: snooky sweet?
4: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: Not bad,
1: Cahoons. Uh. Uh. No, but it was a hit song. Uh, I think was performed by. Uh, it wasn't written by him, but it was a, a cover by Tennessee Ernie Ford called 16 Tons." Sixteen Tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Saint Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. And that these coal mines, the coal mining companies, owned the entire town. They owned all the property. They owned all the buildings if you were in a house, you were probably renting from the company. If you had to buy product, you know, your groceries and everything else, you were buying it from the company store.
0: It's
3: your wild. your kid got sick because they have a poor diet. Company the doctor. doctor was a company
0: doctor. No shit, I didn't you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. yeah. Do you want to know how I know this? You ever seen the movie October Sky? That's how I know uh, a lot of go. this. Because <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> I, I was just watching this flick, and I, honestly, I only just realized now everything that they owned was the companies like that whole town right was just for the coal people
1: kevin and i were talking Balance about power october too, yeah. sky and that was in the middle 50s i mean that was set when the soviets launched sputnik, sputnik right and that was after the labor unions have at least made some inroads to improve people's lives but uh, uh they have a strike in the middle of the movie yeah, like, in the middle of the movie but anyhow you know the, you you owed, you owed your soul to the company store. They owned everything. They controlled everything. Those words were true. And that's where <laughs> you could start as a kid, and then once you get a little older and you're able to do a man's uh, labor, a man's job, then you're down in the mines, down in the down in the hall, and then coming out. Uh, once you were no longer able physically to work the 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 face where you're actually busting the coal out of the out of the vein, then they would put you back on the on the breaker pile. Um, I, I, quickly, i got to tell you this. As far as Bobcat, he's he's 10.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, one of his jobs might be to be actually down in the mine because that whole terminology about six loading 16 tons, as these coal cars would come around, back in the day they were being pulled by mules. And the mules would be pulling the car around. And if you didn't load your coal, coal car up completely by the time it came around again... You just lost that wage. In other words, if you only got it three-quarters of the full, that wasn't considered full. You got nothing that out of that. Three
3: quarters that wasn't three-quarters pay. That was zero.
1: That was zero pay. That was zero pay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> now, these mules that are down in the mines, because they're working them like a rented mule, all right, that oftentimes being in the dark environment, um, they didn't put a miner's cap on the, on the mules. The mules would go blind, so now the mule is blind down in the coal mine from the pitch black. Right? Oh no bother. <laughs> um, but a mule is an expensive piece of uh, equipment, right? So then they would hire some kid, like a 10-year-old kid, that would now lead the mule around because the mule couldn't see. Well, you just get a 10-year-old kid, and the 10-year-old kid would be leading the mule around to be pulling the coal car and uh,
3: and we worry about secondhand smoke. <laughs> <laughs> right, right,
1: right, secondhand smoke or, or black lung disease right. if you're down in the mine. So, well,
2: it's like you said about um, Cohen was talking earlier about uh, you know here's congrats uh, on cancer. That's what you're getting here, um, <laughs> right? These conditions are so brutal. The newspapers that are reporting on it are uh, people are in shock when they hear about the shit that's going on for the quote big coal employees. Um, on September sixth, eighteen sixty nine a fire breaks out in the Avondale mine and it kills 110 of its workers in a complete disaster. Okay,
3: That's funny. I read 179. Really? Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, Wikipedia, what are you doing to me here, you know? <laughs> Giving me bad info, making me look dumb in front of my cousin? Well,
3: they don't really know how many people, right? I mean, nobody's bit. really keeping track of how many people are down
1: there, right? right? You, get, I mean, you start a fire in a coal mine, uh, whatever's down there is going to be burnt to a crisp anyhow. So how are you going to be identifying uh, the total numbers?
3: I mean, back when I was in um, grad school, I had a friend who grew up in Pittsburgh, and she said that there's a coal mine that has been burning for decades and oh, yeah. decades, and it's, there's no way for them right. to put
0: it out. there's it's actually fuel,
3: and it's underground, so it
0: just it's cheap. It's burning. still a thing. Jesus. It's a. Uh, it inspired a video game called Silent Hill. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's a. Uh, it's been burning, I think, since the mid '60s. Yeah, Jeez.
1: that's still it's going Christy. on now. Yep. Well, I think um, there's
0: only like three people that still live in that town, and <laughs> they can't kick them out. Like, oh, uh, oh, but I'm sure
3: the air quality is awful, right?
0: No, like they just—they're just like I'll stay here till I die, and then once they're gone, they're then they'll unincorporate that area, but it's still technically a town, right? Oh. Yeah, I
2: think Glade uh, Air Fresheners wants to move in and build a factory. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: a- and more, the mine—cancer. <laughs> <that's> a-
2: <laughs> and the mine that you were just talking
0: about—I was just looking it up a little bit.
2: Avondale, yeah, yeah.
0: There's still remnants of it.
2: Oh boy. <laughs> Because it's disaster. That's The word disaster, we use it too much. But, I mean, th- this is a disaster. Uh, families of the dead workers, uh, and correct me if I'm ever wrong on any of this part here, Kate, uh, they were blaming the private coal companies because they did not install second exits because uh, that was more money and it wasn't productive. You weren't making right. the coal run like right. you were talking about. You're not that. making money out of putting an emergency exit. And they refused to pay for scaffolding because that's more shit you got to do, all right? Like I work excavation. We got to put shoring boards in even though we're only three feet in the hole, you know? Like if uh, the walls collapse on us, we just stand up. What year was right. this? Um, for uh, Avondale was 1869.
0: So this is also the era of that of the what was it in New York? It was a garment worker fire. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, right. So, like, this is not a the time of, for worker safety. They, so, they like,
3: locked a lot of those doors so the workers couldn't take breaks.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the time right. of, like, ah, you, you're you on our time. It was reporting by the, the quote,
3: Mules muckrakers. Mules are more valuable than humans at this stage <laughs> <laughs> in the game, uh, right? Because right? all these immigrants uh, coming in.
1: Right. Just hire another patty or another immigrant and uh, let's move on. Just fucking brutal, man. Uh, I
3: just want to say, like, at that time period, um, in a seven year period, five hundred and sixty six mm-hmm. miners died because like things would collapse or maybe they'd hit an underground reservoir, like an aquifer, and all of a sudden the whole mine would be flooded. Because we're also it's we're
0: also really talking about stuff. We're also talking the eighteen sixties. We're not at peak anything with technology. Right. So like these mines are held together with gum and whatever yeah. they that could probably find. With,
3: uh, whatever hasn't been mined yet. <laughs>
1: And po- if you hit a pocket of poison gas, I mean, taking the canary, they, they would literally have a canary in a cage and bring it down into the coal mines because the canary would be the first to be affected by the poison gas. If you saw the canary falling off his perch, get the F out of the mine because that means that there's poison gas present. So that's the, that's the technology. When the and bird the dies.
3: British and the Welsh immigrants go first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, up, they're upstairs in the free It is the, brutal. In the, yeah. in the fresh, they're in a control yeah. room with a coffee machine just <laughs> <Yes. in> the, <laughs> Right. So Sitting up there. Oh, goddamn. Send brutal.
0: that Irish fella to go see if the, the bird's dead or That's not. Really,
2: right. But
3: that law about having to have a second exit and good ventilation and all that kind of stuff.
2: I forgot ventilation, yeah.
3: From what I read, that was the result of that horrible fire. Mm-hmm. But it was never enforced because the owners had too much power and they were like, right. yeah, forget about that. Fine, now. it's
4: passed. It's but on, it's we're on the paper, ones who are but, managing yeah. it. Yeah, forget
2: it. Well, you got um, the Panic of 1873 now, Dad, which. That's an economic recession. Give us like a quick 30-second blurb on that because we're setting the table of the terrible mining conditions because we want to give these guys a reason why they have to you know, yeah, I become mean, things, the Maguires.
1: Things are bad all over mm-hmm. um, as far as the labor, whether you're a garment worker or whether you're a coal miner. I mean just labor is really taking the, the short end of the stick. But the panic of 1873 is really a financial uh, crisis, and it, it triggers a – it's a depression not only in – America, but also in Europe, the French are fighting the uh, the Pr- Austria Prussians, and uh, you know. So Who was
3: president? I'm sorry, because you guys have talked about this already.
1: Uh, well,
2: th- there's two panics. There's uh, the one we talked about was Grover Cleveland. Okay, he got blamed for uh, in his second term because he had uh, the broken term with Benjamin Harrison, that he cheated him out of the election. So then Harrison comes in and puts in all this bullshit. And it winds up uh, screwing up. That was a panic of 1893. So oh, So this is when okay, you're
1: okay. so We had a lot of panics in America. There's a lot of panics. <laughs> there's a lot of riots. There's a lot of stuff. But, uh, you yeah, a, a lot of different factors are taking place with this. But um, economically, there's a huge depression. Uh, or after the Civil War, um, there's a big boom in railroading. Railroading is the big technology. People are making fortunes off of railroads. So there's heavy investment, speculative investment in railroads, and... Um, and then a lot of times, uh, a lot of this was driven by uh, government land grants that the government is ceding large chunks of property so that they could have the whole transcontinental transcontinental railroad going across from one, you know, re- uh, linking shore to shore kind of a thing, the Atlantic to the Pacific.
0: We just actually celebrated an anniversary for that—the the transcontinental railroad construction begin uh, ending, uh, no, the start of the construction. We just had an anniversary for Because my friend actually went to the ceremony Because they, oh, so cool. they reenacted it They right. did the whole thing over again With I think the same fucking train Could you too. imagine
2: the completion of it by the way dad Because you got the the Chinese laborers from the west Meeting the Irish laborers from the east And they all meet together both
0: <laughs> totally treated like shit Yeah, right. They're both <laughs> like hey you treated like shit too <laughs> <That's right. laughs> When are we going to band together yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We could do a whole episode on, on yeah. that we we Oh I plan it That's why
2: I also want to just uh, Now we've set the, um, the panic up here um, we do want to get. So, you're combining this economic panic that's going on with uh, the absolute terrible working conditions. Uh, the mining companies, it's con- like they're starting to face a little bit of backlash here. It's uh, disasters are happening, conditions are Just terrible. Just a little bit. Yeah.
0: It's, it's not like it's not warranted.
2: So, now the Molly Maguires have, uh, they're going to start making a name for themselves here. Okay. In response to the brutal conditions and discrimination they continue to face, the Maguires, under the uh, alleged leadership of Jack Kehoe, began dealing out. Uh, What would become the calling card of the Molly Maguires? Coffin notices. Um, You want to expand? I I thought this was pretty cool. Um, So when we were kids, we went uh, in the Boy Scout troop. We grew up, and there was one kid that would piss us off a lot. And um, (laughs) we wanted to fuck him up. And my dad goes, you can't fuck him up but maybe leave him a note telling him that you've noticed that he's annoying everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So he left a note on his sleeping bag saying, uh, you know, get your shit together kind of a thing. And oddly, he got his shit together. He's a cop now. (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, I thought it was interesting. So what these coffin notices would be is they would see a guy who was dealing with uh, unfair practices or whatever, and he would receive a coffin notice, which would be uh, a letter left for him somewhere. He would find it. It would have a picture of a coffin on it, usually a picture of a knife or a gun, too. And it would say... uh, Hey, get your head out of your ass! <laughs> and they would sign it, uh, someone who knows you, okay? Which is gave this anonymous quality. Like, well, I don't know who's coming to kill me now. All right, so if I leave a notice well, here, somebody you
1: know, yeah, if it's I leave not, a notice, it's not going to be a stranger. that's going to step up mm-hmm. and, and blast you. It's
2: it's a it's almost like that creepy thing in the movies when uh, uh you some like somebody sees photos that uh, I know been what you them. did
0: last summer. Yeah, there's definitely a vibe to
2: that. <laughs> definitely a vibe to that. But uh, those are the coffin notices. Now these are getting delivered. A lot of them to mining supervisors and foremen who unfairly treated the workers or abused their power. So very creepy here. Uh, it implied the knife and the you know the gun that maybe things were going to get physical. All right. So uh, that's that kind of their way of doing this thing. They're uh, they're intimidating the bosses now uh, through intimidation, violence, and occasional murder. Uh, both sides of the labor dispute were continuing to remain at odds. And the Molly Maguires, like we said, they achieved this mafioso-type fear. So if you called somebody a Molly Maguire, which you didn't do out loud, by the way, all right? Because let's be honest, Dad. We grew up in North Jersey. Um, there were some people's dads that just worked in sanitation, and you didn't ask anything else, okay? <laughs> I, I spent my prom weekend in one of the recycling. sanitation workers. Recycling.
1: Yes. By today's standards, it would be yeah. in
2: recycling. Well, I stayed in one of his many shore Green. properties. So. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and there was one right by Uncle Terry that lived on the corner. We used to pass the house. Everybody knew what he did for a living, but nobody ever talked to him about it. You're already <laughs> speaking
0: too much. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so if you knew Molly Maguire, you kept your mouth shut. also, why would you, as an Irish Catholic uh, mine worker, uh, want to rat out the guys that are the only people fighting on your behalf? Right. So... Uh, there's definitely a thing here.
3: Make way for the Molly Maguires. <laughs> they're drinkers. They're liars. They are real men.
4: <laughs> That's the best I could do. <laughs> that, that might have topped your Augustus Gloop <laughs>
2: comment from the Hindenburg episode for the regular listeners. <laughs> Uh,
3: from the Dubliners.
2: We might have to play that. In the uh, I'll figure out, I'll, I'll send the file to Ming to see if he can't put that in for us. Which, by the way, would be hilarious if we had, um, in order to recreate the, uh, the railroad, I don't mean to go off on a diatribe, but when we're talking about the railroad of uh, the Chinese laborers meeting the Irish laborers, if we could just get Uncle Bobby in a room with Ming. <laughs>
4: That'd
2: be funny. Ming, if you're listening, let's make this happen. I'll um,
0: disappear for the next episode and you have him on as a guest. <laughs>
2: So uh, now the way that they're making uh, this whole thing work for them is they're operating uh, – there's no paper trail on the Molly Maguires. They're still debated as to whether or not – if you want to pretend they still don't exist, there's, a, there's no such thing as the mafia. Um, That's right. Kind of that thing. Just a social club. Yeah, it's a social club that operated the Molly Maguires out of Jack Kehoe's saloon uh, under the disguise as members of an organization known as the Ancient Order of Hibernians. Dad, real quick, what are the ancient order of Hibernians?
1: Again, it's a social organization. It was a a somewhat secret society. Its history, its origin, goes back into Ireland, that at the time when British law forbid the the Catholic religion, um, this order was put together to try to protect the Catholic priests because if you were a Catholic priest and you said mass, that was was a, a crime punishable by death. So they were... They were trying to help out um, the Catholic um, population, if you will, Um, back in the day. um, They had um, lodges all over the place, uh, England, uh, Scotland, Ireland. And then as the immigrant wave came across, they started to form up in in, uh, America as well. Well, there's a Knights of Columbus vibe to them a little bit. I mean, so.
3: it still exists. Yes, yes. It can still yes. be a member. It,
1: it's it's been morphed into something a little more modern day, but um, it was it was really to help out the uh, in in America. The ancient order of Hibernians were also helping out the Irish immigrants coming across, helping them find a place to live, uh, get them a job, that kind of a thing. You so think it was Tammany more a social.
2: Hall was a little involved. Oh, with it was.
1: That? It was a the social. The
2: order of the water buffaloes. These yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> It was a, a um, an uplifting of the social status, if you will, or at least the economic status of uh, the immigrants coming across, uh, working working for the
2: uh, Irish immigrants. Gave them a sense of identity. Right. That sounds It now. Um, The man that uh, the Maguires were mostly at their indirect odds with was um, a guy by the name of Franklin P. Gowan, who um, I'm going to borrow one of your uh, learned, well-educated terms here from earlier, Dad. This guy's a douchebag. Nice. He is the owner of the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad. And uh, Gowan had put much of his own personal fortune, he he had money to begin with, um, and they say he wasn't really interested in the railroad business. He was interested in the power that came with it. So he liked doing hostile takeovers. He would buy out other mines, buy out other properties. Um,
1: oh, but he, he had done those a lot of
2: special assholes. Oh, and, uh, oh, okay. and oh, those
1: it, pockets were deep. Yeah, and, and he started out as a lawyer working working for the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad.
0: Oh, he started out as a lawyer? Oh, no wonder.
1: You're wondering why he was a good <laughs> <Yeah>. snake. <laughs> so he was, he was a lawyer and won some very important cases for the railroad. And here's your very loose <laughs> jersey tie-in. The Philadelphia and Reading Railroad uh, eventually morphed into just the Reading Railroad, and the game of Monopoly. All right, now the railroads were the big monopolies. They they controlled everything. They were the high tech industry of of the time, and the money was made hand over fist. Fortunes were made through the railroads. I mean, J. P. Morgan and all these guys were made. Boodles and oodles of money off off the railroads, but the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad eventually became just the Reading Railroad. And in the game of Monopoly, which is loosely based on properties within um, Atlantic City, Atlantic City, New Jersey, <laughs> one of the four railroads on the Monopoly board is the Reading Railroad.
3: So, Isn't Pennsylvania Railroad one too? Uh,
1: and the B and O, the Baltimore and Ohio, oh, oh, okay. right? And then also the Short Line, and the Short Line is just that. That there was speculation that the Short Line, a railroad on the Monopoly board, was there was a Short Line railroad that ran between Atlantic City and Philadelphia, to bring in the, the tourist trades.
0: Let it be known that may be my favorite shoehorn Jersey tie I've ever heard.
1: Like, like yeah.
0: I. I appreciate you so much for the effort you put in for that one. Like yeah,
1: it, it, took a long, it took a long way to. to
0: let, me, let, me, that, let me, let me shake it.
3: I think you woke up out of a sleep and you yeah. were like, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> that's,
1: that's the aha moment. The aha moment. The line connects there and there. It all makes sense. That's right.
3: I think it's interesting that he too, Gowan, is the son of an Irish immigrant. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Protestant. One. I wasn't sure yes, about that.
1: But, yes. but
0: still. <laughs> the guy trying to take them down is, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a Protestant uh, uh,
2: Irishman. Well, uh, it's always funny, too, because uh, if you don't know on the show, uh, I'm adopted. That's a true story. Um, so my family, uh, I, I've been with my family my entire life. It was all prearranged before I was born. But um, there was some speculations to how Irish I was. And when I when I came back it was more Irish than the Burks that was interesting uh, so God damn it yeah I'm, I'm a little bit of an import over here um, but I remember talking to your dad uh, Kate Uncle Bobby, and uh, I was explaining to him that uh, where the Burks are from in Ireland in uh, the Galway section um, and where I'm from uh, biologically with the, the last name I shouldn't say it on the podcast actually, but um, we found it to be from Northern Ireland so uh, Uncle Bobby's saying for why I from you know the north. Uh, is hanging out with the people from the West is, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> so, yeah, Ireland, not exactly, they don't all get along with each other here. But uh, So I did like that, too, that uh, the Gowan is, um, he's a self-loathing Irishman, one might call him. But the, the only group that he hated more uh, than the Molly Maguires, who were clearly, in his mind, terrorists that were you know, emptying his pockets, um, was this Working Men's Benevolent Association, which is essentially like the first main union that's able to kind of cross over and get the Welsh uh, the English, the Scottish, and the Irish to all kind of agree and be like, and, hey.
3: and non-violent.
2: They were completely against violence, and uh, they were also founded by Englishmen. So now it's English on English crime, and oh boy, <laughs> it gets interesting with that one here. But the WBA, as it's called, massive success, right? Is that fair to say, Kate?
3: Yeah, and I mean, um, I read that this guy John Siney, I guess, who <laughs> tough, was tough from <laughs> from Ireland, um, founded this organization, and Apparently, did a really great job uniting everybody and negotiating peacefully and actually getting them better wages. And that's when Gowan was like, All right, we got to cut this out. We got to
1: cut this out, right? right, Because you're cutting into my bottom line. Pretty much, they did a We Are the
2: World and it
1: freaked everybody out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, just like we are the
2: world.
1: (laughs) And that whole really thing got its – it jump-started with uh, one of the mining disasters. When you're pulling out 176 or however many crispy bodies out of the mine, Uh, this guy then jumps on a wagon and starts uh, um, speechifying to the the rescuers and everybody and all the other workmen that – you know, Survived that that disaster. That we got to get ourselves organized here. There's no way we're going to send men back into the mines. What was the quote? Uh, don't die with your boots on, boys. Yeah, that don't was... don't die for the for the company. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to die for a cause, die for your for your families, not for the. Not don't for the die company. for a company that gives two shits about
0: you. Right. Of course,
3: and when you died on the job, there was no life insurance. Your no. family was destitute.
2: Right, yeah, it was just like and a shit out universe. of the, Get Even out of the worse company than they housing. Were before. Right. <laughs> right. You guys burned me on the best joke of the show. That one hurt. hurt. Oh,
4: I'm sorry. That stinks.
1: You want to bring it around or? No. No, it's over now. Wow. Thanks,
2: Um, Dad. Wow. Wow, we missed it. No, uh, but you guys are right on all this stuff here. Uh, Now, this WBA is making things work, um, but unfortunately, whenever they want to go on strike or if they are demanding a higher uh, wage, uh, whatever they have to do to capitulate in order to keep the work going, that money's coming out of Mr. Gowan's pocket. So he hates them more than he hates the Mollies. Uh, the WBA, like we said, served as a peacemaker, and the union for uh, they you know, improved conditions. Wages are going up, and there's the promise of peaceful continued work. So you're not making as much money as you were when you were robbing these people blind, but the work's going to be steady. So you're not going to make a grand every hour. You're going to make 800. You know, so you got to just deal with. You the
3: Got to think long
2: term. Exactly. Mean, people don't ever do that. That's the problem. Very short-sighted in all uh, of this stuff here. And Gowan, interesting guy uh, in and of himself, which we say a lot on the podcast, but you're going to see the little uh, – the weird thing we found about him. towards douche. The... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> douche. is a good word. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the, the WBA here thing, that's attracting all of his attention. He has to find a way um, to – and this is the, the sad part here is the anthracite region of Pennsylvania. It is the Wild East like we were talking about. A lot of violence, disasters. Everything. Now all of a sudden there's this calm peace coming over. Because the WBA is making things so good that the Mollies aren't pissed off right now, the Mollies were always a reactionary group. They were never starting shit. They were, you know, they, that was kind of their thing. they
3: were like, "This is an outrage!" Exactly. Yeah. A so now hungry th- man is an angry man.
2: Ooh, ooh, ooh. amen. Yeah, you sure you're not an English major too? I oh, know that was good. A little <laughs> philosophy in there and everything. But uh, you should, you should make that up. What, uh, what winds up happening? I'm going to credit you from now on. Is, uh, what winds up happening here is that things are good and Galen's like, "Fuck this," so. He goes ahead and he decides that it's time to, uh, he's tired of kowtowing to the WBA, and he wants to end this reign of terror that the Molly Maguires have inspired. So he found a way to kill two birds with one stone. The guy's already got a private police force in Pennsylvania known as the uh, Coal and Iron Police. LP, you want to just expand upon, they're, they're essentially a private army.
0: Oh, so it's Walter Peck and the Environmental Protection yeah,
2: Agency. Very
1: close. <laughs> but imagine
2: them, but with manpower. <laughs>
1: The coal and iron police were a, a private police force. Now, again, we're going back that the company, the coal, the coal company, or the railroad owned the entire town. They owned the the, uh, the doctor it was a company doctor. And it was the company store that you had to buy your groceries. You had to pay rent to the company housing that you were living in, uh, and it even went to the police force. That the coal and iron police were a private police force that was hired by the coal company. And that was uh, set up actually by Pennsylvania legislation that um, Pennsylvania allowed corporations or businesses, enterprises, to hire their own police force because there wasn't enough police to go around. So it wasn't a local you know, uh, municipality police. It was the, the company police. So you're, you're hiring these mercenary thugs, cutthroats, uh, whatever that the, they didn't do
0: no background checks.
1: No, there was no background <laughs> checks, and you're just hiring muscle. Yeah, that's that, the thing. You're not getting um, right. guys who are, are seeking get, to preserve the peace. You're, you're not getting anybody that's trained or anything. But They um, just want
3: to beat some people up.
1: <laughs> right. And, and, and get paid for it. The companies use these guys as strike breakers so that you know if you weren't in there, they they, they would send in the police force and break bust a few heads. And all right, if, you know if you're able to make work tomorrow, come back tomorrow, and we'll we'll start all over again. Um, the locals, the coal miners themselves, call them Coss- Cossacks or yellow dogs. They were just, you know, they were the the pit bulls of the of the company, kind of a thing. That uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, this whole po- private police force, again, it was all legal because um, guys like McGowan, who owned the owned the, com- the coal companies or the railroads...
2: Don't, help, don't give him too much. He's, he's Gowan. No McGowan.
1: Oh, McGowan, yeah. I'm sorry. Gowan. Um, There's too many Irish names for yeah, us to not I'm have sorry. a couple that, of right. them. That, that was a Freudian there, right there, but uh, Gowan, you could pay the state of Pennsylvania a dollar per badge... All right, a dollar a man, Holy and shit. you could hire whatever you want. So, if you're making, you know, a hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year or whatever, you you could you could spend a hundred bucks, and now you got a hundred a hundred man police force that could go in and bust bust heads and. Uh, so it's like Seaside Heights Memorial Day weekend. That's right. rent a cop. Oh, you're it's a it's a permanent hire. Kind Jesus of a thing. Christ! Yeah.
0: They started the rent-a-cops.
1: So yep. uh,
2: now they've got that and. Um, He's got his own private police force, but now it's time to take things up a notch. And Mr. Gowan hires America's foremost detective, Mr. Alan Pinkerton, of the Pinkerton Detective Agency.
0: I thought you were going to say Batman, but okay. Uh,
2: a lot of that stuff's based off of here, which is uh, there's Sherlock Holmes tie-ins that are about to come. This, this shit was real, man. Um, not for nothing, real quick, though, we are going to talk about Pinkerton on another episode. right? But can you give us the, uh, the, the brief elevator pitch? for uh, who Mr. Pinkerton was?
1: Very quickly, Alan Pinkerton was an immigrant himself, um, got himself involved with, quote unquote, law en- law enforcement kind of a thing that he uh, broke up some, uh, some um, counterfeiters early in his career, uh, gained some great notoriety, was very much involved um, with the protection of Uh, president-elect Abraham Lincoln Mm -hmm. that after Lincoln won the election, which really triggered the the whole start of the Civil War kind of a thing. That's when the the South said, screw this, we're out, you know, if you're electing Lincoln. Uh, He thwarted uh, an assassination attempt on Lincoln as he was dry or as he was taking the train from Illinois to Washington to be inaugurated. So he became a very famous guy. Uh, a writer, um, he's credited with being one of the first uh, detective writers, uh, you know, as far as uh, oh, like liter-
3: detective novels,
1: and detective stuff? novels. Guess who got he worked out with too, by the way. Right. and he- the whole term "private eye," right? Uh, you're hiring a private eye or a private dick. Um, that goes back to Pinkerton because his company, the the Pinkertons, um, his his logo was this big eye, this big wide open eye. And with the slogan "We Never Sleep," and that whole eye eyeball thing on his logo was was carried over carried over into the the private eye that you could hire a private eye to to check in on things and and that's you're, so you're, cool. You are hiring your own spy agency kind of a guess
2: thing. who he was friends with too by the way that Pinkerton uh, met with uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle.
1: Right, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Who
2: would create. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. That was his buddy? Uh, well, uh, they knew each other. I'll put okay. it that way. So there was some story. Now, this is where we're going to hit the uh, the easy pass lane on this story. Um, Pinkerton gets this idea once he finds out all the information. He gets hired by uh, Gowan. Makes a suggestion to have one of his men infiltrate the Molly Maguires. He's got the perfect man for the job. James McParland, a uh, native of Ireland. So he still spoke with uh, the accent and you know was familiar with the territory and everything like that. Uh, He quickly fits in with the uh, Irish coal miners in the Anthracite area under the fake name James McKenna. That's why I didn't mean to jump on you, but I want to make sure that McKenna and and Gowan are are separated here.
1: Gowan, not McGowan.
2: Yeah. Gowan. So uh, McKenna claims to be uh, on the run from crimes that he committed in a bar fight in Buffalo, New York. And uh, his hard-drinking and happy-go-lucky attitude pretty much quickly endear him to uh, the community. You he's know, one so of the boys. He fits in pretty good here. Um, <laughs> now, uh, McParland, and we're going to call him McParland throughout this for consistency here. The, the fake name he's using is McKenna, but we're going to call him McParland.
1: So, His real name is McParland. Yes.
2: Uh, but the, the fake name he's using is McKenna in order to fit in with the boys. So uh, McParland was uh, not only made a member of the AOH pretty quickly, uh, because he could read and write, they made him uh, the scribe. Okay, so... That's how you know you're picking a good one here. It's a, a, hey, there, there's a spy infiltrating us. Uh, let's put the you spy. You take all the notes. <laughs> right, right. If I could just wow. find a paper trail on these guys, I could prosecute. <laughs> hey, we need a scribe. You can write, right? Yeah?
3: None of us can.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, write down all this criminal shit we're going to do. Um, but yeah, essentially, that, that's what they wind up doing. They make uh, Mr. McParland their scribe. Now McParland's in deep cover for a
1: couple years here too, and, uh, and again, we- he's a Pinkerton man. Mm-hmm. And Pinkerton was famous for, um, you know, uh, their spy network kind of a thing back from pre-Civil War days right up through. So now we're we never we're post- sleep. We never <laughs> sleep. I mean, they 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 broke some really serious cases uh, with that. Some oftentimes with uh, some underhanded. Uh, Results. I mean, this one's
2: we're going to get underhanded in a second, too. Um, So uh, what I like to um, focus on here with Mr. McParlin is that he is in deep cover for a couple of years here. Uh, Now, he's also willing to let other smaller crimes go to try to catch the big fish here on this one. Um, And uh, it is still funny that they've put in charge of all their documents, the very man that was sent to acquire them. (laughs) So, you know, it's almost like uh, if you're going to rob somebody like. Oh, (laughs) shit. Well, I just figured uh, somebody's walking down an alley to rob me. But uh, I, I'm, I just hand him my wallet because, like hey, can you hang on to this for a second? I just got to look for my phone real quick. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, McParlane's determined he's going to bring enough evidence about uh, to indict the Molly Maguires and convict them. Uh, in order to let that happen, he is rumored to have let two Maguire-led assassinations take place in order to not blow his cover. Like didn't really do much to warn the guy because he said, well, I have a job to do. And if I warn this guy, then they're, they're not actually going to do the crime and then I can't. So he let some shit slide It's
3: minor, here. man. That guy was an asshole anyway. Minor pun, <laughs> pun
2: intended, huh, Kate? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't
3: even mean to do that.
2: <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he's determined he's going to let this shit slide, and he's undercover, uh, deep, deep cover here. Now, he's not just totally a remorseless man. We talked about this earlier, uh, Kate. Jack Kehoe was played by Sean Connery in a 1970 movie uh, called The Molly Maguires. Did you see the movie? Or? I did. I did. It sucks.
3: Yeah, it, it's not yeah, a good movie. <laughs> it's not accurate or you know, from I'm everything really that i really read it, now because like it's I was fairly disappointing.
2: Yeah, they should remake that. I don't want a, a reboot of a new like, don't reboot something that's already good. Take that movie that's yes, a great story that you fucked up. Yeah. Make that the movie.
4: Yeah.
0: You know what I would do? You ever seen those newer Sherlock uh, movies? I don't know, but
2: it's going to involve a puppet, I'm sure. No, of
0: course. <laughs> the dude who did those newer Sherlock movies, actually. If they did a Molly Maguire's movie in that kind of style. Oh, that
2: would be great. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is the man. Um <laughs> just succeeds. But uh, now here's where the story gets dark. Uh, oh, no. On December 10th, 1876, masked men attacked what was known as the O'Connell House which was owned by and rumored to be inhabited by McGuire men. Molly Maguire men. Yes. Uh, now, the attackers broke into the house. Uh, they were masked men and just began shooting. And uh, their targets that night, uh, un- inadvertently, I shouldn't say target, the uh, victims that night, they murdered uh, Mrs. McAllister, who was the uh, wife of a Molly Maguire, and her younger brother, who was shot fleeing. Mrs. McAllister was later discovered to be pregnant, and the child did not survive. So now you've killed three people. Um... McParland himself is outraged because they find out about the O'Connell House and the inhabitants from information that he's feeding back to the Pinkertons. And he starts to suspect that it's either rogue Pinkerton agents or the coal and iron police that kind of went into business for themselves here. Which is pretty much one and the same, but... Yep. Yeah. Yeah,
3: because Pinkerton hired all of those police Mm -hmm. guys for Gowan.
2: And it's, uh, th- that's why you start seeing this, this abuse of power that's coming on here. Because, again, it's the coal mining. Uh, you know you can work in the coal mine, so you can then uh, use the wage from the coal mine to buy stuff at a coal mining store to go back to your apartment that's owned by the coal mining company. So it's, it's Walmart owns this place. that's That uh, uh, 16 tons and what do you get song? They did a whole episode on South Park about this where they ripped on the Molly Maguires a little bit. Uh, but it was that Amazon opened up a store there, and everybody had to work at Amazon so they could go home and afford to buy things from Prime. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was uh, just a brilliant episode that they did. There was picketing, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, But anyway, again, it's uh, the genius of South Park. However, uh, now here's what happens. Um, These guys break in there, and McParland is outraged because these people are killed here. He actually writes in an attempted resignation that uh, the Mollies, even on their worst day, would never kill a woman as these masked attackers, presumed to be the coal and iron police, uh, Gowan's private army, had just done. So he goes... These guys are bad, but you guys, what you just did is worse. This is terrible, you know? So he's all pissed off about it. He gets assured uh, that he won't break his cover and resign from his position. He is assured that those responsible will be brought to justice. Uh, they made a couple arrests, no convictions. So it's like, yeah, hey, we'll appease you, but we're not going to actually do anything about it. So uh, he remains undercover uh, and it is now his duty to end the Molly Maguires. The WBA finally gets broken down by Gowan as well. We say douchebag earlier. This is where the mega douchebag, a douchebag of exponential quality here. Gowan offers the WBA a term that he knows they can't accept. It's a massive pay cut that intentionally forces the union to go on strike. So essentially he's he's insulting them so they're going to go on strike so that he can pretty much starve them out. Can we just call him Walter Peck moving forward? He is a bad dude, man. Peck is laughable. Gowan's an asshole. Uh, And plus,
3: I mean, you know, to kill other people is totally serious. But if you are you reach the point where you're killing other people because your children are starving to, get to death is one thing. Yes. But to kill other people because you want this exorbitant wealth is way scummier. <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it's a bad dude. Right? <laughs> so essentially they go on a, what's known as the long strike out there. And it's six months of the absolute worst conditions they've ever been in. People are starving. Kids are getting skinny. All sorts. Of, it's just bad news. People are living off bread and water. That's what they give you in prison, by the way. You ever get thrown in the stockade or whatever? Not even you know? a
3: full piece of
4: bread. Yeah, a crust crusts of, of, bread of
2: bread. And, water. <laughs> and uh, now imagine you're one of those kids that, uh, you know, I'm sure you've made. Because uh, you're a great mom, Kate. Uh, I'm sure you've made your fair share That's... of uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> uh, have, Does that either, make me
3: a great mom? Have
2: your other. <laughs> <laughs> have your kids ever asked for uh, crusts off?
3: Uh no, I think they just don't eat them.
2: Good. I kind of like, <laughs> that's right. I'm
3: not cutting that shit off. Just don't eat it. <laughs>
2: yeah. So now imagine what's work left on the plate. <laughs> yeah, what's left on the plate from uh, from those kids, uh, my, my little cousins, who are hilarious, both of them. Um, but that's going to be an entire day's meal for somebody who's going to go back into the work and you know the mind Like conditions. hard
3: labor work.
2: Ugh, just brutal. So they break their back. Um, now that the uh, the people are crossing the picket lines, um, as we talked about in the ride down, Dad. They, uh, they go back in, and uh, people start having to go back to work again just out of a matter of self-preservation.
1: Well, it's not fun. only for yourself, but for the rest of your family when the kids, oh, yeah. are, kids are starving. Uh, I mean,
3: you were starving when you were getting paid. Mm-hmm. Now you haven't been paid for five months. Right. Things are bad.
1: And you weren't Frugal. able to really stockpile uh, the ready reserve of cash. Uh, no, you were yeah. in, in debt. <laughs> exactly. You, you owe the company store.
2: I, uh, I say this as a man who's about 30 to 40 pounds overweight. There was not an obesity problem in the anthracite region. Um yeah, it, it's just brutal out there. And he uses this long strike to break the effective bargaining power of the WBA. So now the thing that worked, the best solution for the job, is gone. Now all he has to do is uh, finish off these Molly Maguires, and Mr. Gowan is going to have his way. So uh, Gowan is more than pleased uh, in order to uh, uh, have these things going through. Um, McParland actually suggests that the arrest be made soon, because now um, as things are starting to get worse and worse in the anthracite region – They actually burn down uh, the Summit Telegraph House and derail a train. And uh, at this time, the Maguires have, uh, at least the ones they're aware of, organized the killing of uh, 24 mining supervisors and foremen. So that's 24 of your bosses getting right out in the back because the Maguires weren't fucking around. So they go ahead and they say, uh, McParland, uh, he says, make the arrest now as soon as you can. And Gowan is more than pleased. To order the coal and iron police to uh, arrest his nemesis, you know this uh, Molly Maguire group. So now a private police force is making an arrest due to evidence provided by a private detective hel- hired by a private company. And uh, surely these nice Irish Catholic boys are going to get a fair trial, right, Kate? Oh,
3: oh yeah, <laughs> of course. It's the United States.
2: <laughs> right, breaks your heart on this one. Nope, the trials uh, barred Catholics from sitting on the jury, and they were uh, replacing the Catholics. Uh, they didn't even allow the Catholics, I should say. Uh, the jury was made up almost exclusively of
1: Pennsylvania Dutch, some of whom... German
3: immigrants who yep. couldn't speak English. Uh, right.
1: it, it's, who were looking for the jobs that the Irish were now holding. Yeah, top.
3: But they couldn't even understand any of the evidence the that was being presented. Right. So
1: what you are saying is... <laughs> that'd be the
2: modern equivalent here. Um, it's just brutal. This, I mean, they're getting... Pun intended, these guys are getting railroaded. Okay. And
3: most of the witnesses were paid witnesses mm-hmm. by...
2: The, the company The
3: Reading Railroad And uh, the, so. the
2: biggest conviction too Because you're absolutely right uh, McParland's testimony Was that the biggest thing So you're taking the word Of one Pinkerton man Who literally was hired To find a problem Okay That's the thing They always say that too Is that uh, inspectors In the military Nobody ever gets 100% Because the inspector's job Is to make sure you get a 99 That's the best you can do So nobody ever gets 100 They will find a speck of dust On something And hit you for it Because if you get a 100 That means Oh we don't need inspectors anymore Right You're perfect So yeah. yeah, they
3: said that the state of Pennsylvania, like, really dropped the ball in the way. Like, they had nothing to do with this trial. All they did was supply the building in which it took place in and the gallows in which the people died from.
2: Which but otherwise, it was just yeah.
3: all Reading Railroad people running the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And it is. Uh, it gets even creepier now, too, because uh, just how fast this ship moves. Uh, Gowan himself is the lead prosecutor. Yeah. What? Yeah, I, I I saw that note and I was like, "This is terrible." That's so you keep on call him Walter Peck, man. Now imagine Walter Peck is in charge of prosecuting the Ghostbusters. Oh my
0: God! Yeah, so it's not. And good. No one likes Ghostbusters too. Come on, this That's is it. awful.
2: <laughs> I loved Ghostbusters too. I did um, too. I just had to throw <laughs> in that jab there. <laughs> well, I saw two before one, so I'm a little jaded. Um, okay, fair enough. But uh, the prosecution makes this loose case uh, for conspiracy and murder. And ties up all the people that are arrested. So it's all going to be a nice, neat little package here. And they, uh, they pull some bullshit. It's really incredible, actually. So uh, thanks to... What was the guy's name, Dad, that was uh, sat on the prosecution uh, alongside Gowan, who was uh, in military regalia at all times? Oh, I, I
1: don't remember his name, but the, the, the prosecuting team, if you will. Um, Gowan led the team, but there was a whole bunch of other um, heavy hitters as far as the prosecution was concerned. And there was some rumors that uh, another um, corporate tycoon kind of a guy, big money man, who was actually somewhat in competition with Gowan, but another industrialist will we'll benefit him a, we'll, from we're, the we're this men- uprising right. to be squashed. If we, can, if we can put down the unions, everybody's going to be making more money. So let's do whatever we can. Not this, everybody. This way. We will be making. Well, right, right. <laughs> the the one percent. Yeah, there is a one percent. Yeah, there's a real the 1% connotation or The way. half percent or whatever. Um, a guy by the name of uh, Asa Parker. Um, there's there's some speculation that he was the big money guy behind hiring all the, uh, a lot of the defense. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not the defense, but the, the prosecuting attorneys. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Asa Parker might be. Uh, Hitting home with you, too, Kate, because I think your husband went to uh, Lehigh.
3: Oh, oh, so he uh, went to Lehigh? No,
1: Asa Parker founded Lehigh. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Damn it. Yeah. So, so. A, in his home, his mansion, if you will, is still can be visited by the tourists today. In, uh, it is now it, Jim Thorpe,
2: but at the time it was Ma Chunk, right? Ma Chunk, yeah. Pennsylvania. So uh, now... My buddy Nate, who's uh, visiting up in town, his sister's uh, boyfriend lives in Jim Thorpe and tells me this is where all their school trips were, was to the jail and the courthouse and this uh, Parker house we're about to talk about here. So our boys are getting a shit deal, all right? The mom Maguires are getting rounded up. A lot of the circumstantial evidence is uh, based just off of uh, McParland's testimony. Now, he gets one guy, like Kate was saying, to flip, okay? This guy's one of the guilty dudes. And he's, uh, in exchange for him testifying against everybody else, he gets immunity from his crimes. All right? So, of course, I would, you know, I'll tell you whatever you need to say. You know? It's, it's almost like um, Godfather Two, where he'll testify to whatever he needs to, and, and then there's no sense there's of honor whatsoever. Yeah, right. So it gets a little shitty here. Um, no Catholics allowed on the jury. Pennsylvania Dutch are sitting there doing their Swedish chef bullshit, whatever they sound like. And um, the prosecution makes this loose case for conspiracy, ties all 20 guys together here. And Gowan is able to get 20 men of the Molly Maguires that were all arrested, indicted, convicted, and now sentenced to death. It's pretty good. That's a pretty good haul if you're looking to make it all happen here. Ten of these guys get executed on what is known as Black Thursday, uh, also known as the Day of the Rope, June 21st, 1877, in Carbon County, Pennsylvania. Okay, one of the guys that, uh, this is where it was shitty, too, is, uh, I try to put myself in these guys' shoes. I don't know how how you feel about this one, Kate, but... If, um, if I'm in jail, if I'm one of the Molly Maguires, and let's say Dad's one of the Molly Maguires too, and uh, we're hanging out in prison, and you guys come to visit us, uh, the jail cell that uh, we're being kept in is also where they're building the, uh
3: the gallows.
2: Think is that they're going to hang us in. So you come by, you're like, hey, KP, how you doing? Everything good? And then you're just hearing a are hammer. Are you okay? Yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah right. there's just a hammer tapping in the background. That's right. Not just a hammer working.
3: tapping. Then yeah. they're like, let's test this shit out. <laughs> and they're using, like, sandbags while the yep. families are there to visit.
4: Right.
2: And then, of course, knowing my father, too. If he's in the jail cell next to me, he's watching these guys work. And he goes, you're doing it
1: wrong. Three <laughs> nails. Goes, That's never going to work. <laughs> That's right. That's not enough support on the left side. Come uh, on. Any job worth doing is worth doing right
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the
0: guy goes, hey, thanks. Oh, wait.
2: <laughs> that's the one it goes for. They would not stop working on the, the project while people were getting their last times in with uh, the family and everything like that. Just terrible shit. Man. But one of the guys that's about to be killed here is uh, Albert Campbell. and He stood out to me because I thought this guy was interesting. He was also a saloon owner. He was definitely a member of the Molly Maguires, but he had the perfect alibi. Like, it held up. It was not an alibi Uh, We hear alibi, we kind of swap in the word excuse sometimes. Uh, This guy had everybody saying, no, there's no way he committed the crime, the the murder that he was being charged with. Too many people were around him. He had it all checked out. You should be able to get away with that. It's certainly not the death penalty on circumstantial evidence. But uh, Mr. Campbell was pissed off and uh, had a righteous Irish anger. Um, And uh, on the day as he's about to be led out to uh, his execution at the gallows, which, again, are built inside the prison here, he takes a muddy handprint. And slaps it up against the wall, and tells the guards, uh, "This is the proof of my innocence. Uh, that they will not wash my hand off this wall. Uh, it'll stay here to, you know, as, as proof of uh, that the county's about to hang an innocent man." And. Uh, this is weird. Um, the handprint's still there to this day.
3: <laughs> they say they even ripped down the wall and rebuilt it, and yep. it's still there. I and mean, they, that's what they say. Yeah, they, they,
2: It's a great story, so you don't fuck up a great story. But yeah. they do say that they, they paint over it, they knock the wall down, and the handprint just always comes through on that one. But... Mr. Campbell made an impact, okay? And that is still one of the big things. Kahuna's already looking for it right away. Oh, <laughs> already. You know it's a good episode when we get him on the computer. He goes, let me see this shit. <laughs> That's right. Because so. who doesn't love a good ghost story like that?
3: But we could go to that prison. It's a museum now, I, right? I very field much
2: trip. want to go, actually. A good Jim Thorpe one. Field and trip. A, there, there's a lot of field trip. we got to start doing we'll this. We'll go trip. out
3: to Pennsylvania. We'll fly in a hot air balloon. We'll go visit the museum,
2: <laughs> right? No, you're on to something with that.
0: What a great... Thing we could do as part of a show for
2: this if this were to ever become something, don't tip the hat. We've, we have non disclosure agreements, um, but uh, yeah, so the prosecution flawless victory here um, they get 10 of these guys executed on Black Thursday June 21st 1877
3: was Kehoe one of those 10 guys
2: he was killed in the next round of hangings so uh, that's why Mr. Campbell was the the marquee uh, you know he was the headliner of that hanging oh, okay. group um, <laughs> that's right, right. good for him <laughs> 10 so, guys but he got top billing that was what was killer here so uh, if you want to by the way uh, I found it here the handprint can still be seen to this day in cell 17 of the Jim Thorpe jail so uh, back then it was Ma Chunk like we said and then uh, they decided to uh, – Jim Thorpe, what a great guy. Got his own jail How of the deal, right? The greatest athlete of all time, they say. Future <laughs> um, episode. Yeah, Kehoe and uh, the other convicted Mollies were uh, also executed via hanging. Uh, the hanging in true Irish fashion – because we did say the luck of the Irish is sarcastic um, – it turns the tide uh, on the Molly's memory. So they get arrested and it's like uh, people are like, well, get rid of these fucking terrorists. Man, these damn Molly Maguires, they're the ones causing all this trouble. Then the people see – they got railroaded in uh, uh, due process, thrown out the window. Uh, they don't get a fair trial, they don't get anything. And now these guys get executed in rapid succession uh, and the people they are benefiting are those same bastards that just starved us out of our homes for the last six months. So the memory of the Molly Maguire starts to take on a more positive connotation. And uh, it's interesting too because now they're being seen as these sympathetic figures. They were done wrong by a corruption of justice from the, quote, private army, private detectives, uh, the Pinkertons, and uh, Franklin B. Gowen's own men. Uh, a lot of people wonder what became of Gowan. Uh, did you find this one out, Kate?
3: I know he killed himself.
2: Yeah.
4: Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so Mr. Gowan, uh, a lot of mental illness. Maybe like 10 his years later. Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, in 1889 in uh, Washington, D.C. On December 13th, uh, he was found uh, dead. Now, there is still uh, a little bit of speculation. Now, it, it's mostly been debunked. They do say it was suicide. But a lot of people thought uh, this was revenge from the Molly Maguires. I hope so. So, it'd be pretty cool on that one. Um, but, yeah, so there is, uh, it was still to avenge the death of Black Jack Kehoe. And uh, Kehoe's family is very interesting too because his great-grandson, okay, we were talking about Patrick Burke uh, who came over to uh, the United States, you know, the first Burke, uh, what was that, 1840s probably he came um, over right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, Uh, Still under speculation as exactly when, because the earliest we have is him going into the Union Army in 1857. So when he actually arrived on these shores, I'm really not sure. So
2: that's us. That's the Burks right there, guys. Um, But uh, his family is very interesting here because uh, his great-grandson, the first generation after the Mollies were killed, kind of hit it. They were embarrassed by it. And like we said, they start picking up as positive momentum as they're moving forward. Uh, local lore, they're telling the stories of, you know, the, the, the gang violence, the explosions, the fights, all that stuff. It's a cool story when it's not an immediate threat to you. So <laughs> Now, the next generation starts feeling cooler about the McGuires. And then finally, Jack Kehoe's great-grandson earns a full pardon from the state of Pennsylvania uh, for the crimes of the McGuire's. And uh, now that they're completely forgiven on that one, it took a hundred years to get the justice done, if you will.
1: Well, I don't think it was the crimes of the McGuire's. He was given a full pardon of, of, off the, you know, he of was the, he the was... conviction. Yeah, because right, yeah. well, they railroaded him. Right, exactly. So but also, also,
3: he he at one point, like after he was a minor and he became a saloon owner or whatever you want to call it, he, he also was a representative in the state. And they knew who he was over in like the governor's office. Stuff. Shit. And that's what I recall reading. And when the governor received the death sentence papers for Kehoe, he was like, oh, man, I don't want to sign this because the evidence is so flimsy. Um, but, of course, under pressure, he signed it anyway. But, but yeah. So. Scapegoated, man. And then he resigned not much soon after that.
2: The governor. Jesus. Yeah, it's a wild state out there. We rip on Pennsylvania a little bit, but they had some... Isn't it
3: crazy that was the Wild West at that point, right? West of us,
2: right? (laughs) Wild Route 80 West. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Kehoe's family earns him uh, this this full pardon here, and now there's this celebrated nature. Now there's tourism. Like you said, you can go to the museum out there. You can go see where Kehoe's buried. You can see where um, uh, the the jail cell. You can go see there where they were hung and everything. They actually hold uh, an Irish Catholic mass in the jail cell uh, on the anniversary of the killings. So that's kind of cool. I don't know if they're still doing that here. but uh, uh,
3: Bobby Burke would love that. I know. Yeah. He's
2: <laughs> if we could just get him to promise to speak English on the show, I would love to have that man on here. <laughs> but uh, I'll put it to you this way, guys. If we ever do get out there for these field trips, there's a lot of cool stuff I want to do. But uh, one thing in particular, uh, and I know our family would appreciate this. If we are ever in Girardville, Pennsylvania, Kahuna, I plan to stop by... And uh, I just have to have a pint of beer at uh, Jack Kehoe's Hibernian House. Uh, yes. Yeah. It is a, a real pub uh, that is owned and operated by the descendants of Jack Kehoe. So Black Jack Kehoe, who was uh, hung, the king of the Molly Maguires, is now a uh, – uh, it's Fud rockers <laughs> All right? He's now got his own Applebee's. Ah, oh, my God. It's not a chain, Kev. It's not a j- quite a chain. I don't want to go to that. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a real – and they said that uh, – because um, he owns the place and he's got a book that people come from all over the world and they sign the book um, because they've heard of the story of the Molly Maguires. And when um, you know, uh, Mr. Kehoe was uh, given his pardon 100 years posthumously, they celebrated at the pub for three days straight. Okay, that's nice. not a bad party. Yeah, that's, that's a good <laughs> one. That's a good one. But
0: um I'm going to go take a nap, but I will be back. Was it, just Jack? <laughs> was it just Jack that got a pardon, or was it all? Was it all of them? I think it was
2: just him. It is specifically him because his family was the one that was going in after it. Because uh, let's also be honest here too, there was violence on both sides of this. The McGuire's were um they, they weren't completely innocent, right? But they also weren't. There was a reason they were doing this. Yeah, shit. but then
0: what about yeah. Alexander
2: Campbell? Mr. Campbell. Well, I mean, he's got a famous handprint, so there's that, right? It's a little bit different than the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but I it's suppose it's
0: weird. No, it's odd because even with the last episode we did, the the guy got a like a posthumous pardon.
2: Uh, Sacco and Vanzetti. Yeah, that was. They uh, both did. Yeah, well, uh, there's. They were also guilty too. I mean, yeah, least, and the Molly McGuire's. I mean, <laughs> you
1: got to think too that they're they're re, um, coming back at the oppression that they were being delved out to not only themselves but to their families. That if you've got limited resources, I mean that's the only thing they could really do in defense of their own uh, of their own kind type of thing that when you're going against the company and the company owns everything it's not you know it's your entire way of life that uh, yeah. that, that kind of sucks
3: I mean there's no real evidence of this but there are theories out there that most of the murders that took place, were employees of these small mining companies that had been acquired by Redding
4: Railroad,
2: Ugh. right?
3: And so who would benefit from murders more than Gowan himself if it could be, you know, become this anti-Molly Maguire MBA? MBA?
2: Uh, uh, close. WBA? Uh, yeah, WBA. Sorry. You mix them together. w <laughs> <MBA>. <laughs>
3: So, I mean, like I said, it wasn't like there's all this real evidence to that, but some people have sat down and thought about it and be like, you know what, that's kind of a weird dink. that the only people were getting killed. Very interesting. (laughs) Some of
1: the minor holdings, right? That's brutal. We're going to consolidate.
3: And I wouldn't put it past Gowan at all to be like, you know what, let's off some people, make it look like the Maguire, the Molly Maguires and get, you know, this Even negative sentiment. just look at sentiment. Gowan's
1: picture. Yeah, Gowan's picture. you just like, this dude what sucks. What a dick. <laughs> yeah. And he's, uh, McGowan too, Is not only had uh, a checkered history with the coal mines, but also with the railroads. I mean, it was uh, the Reading Railroad Massacre, which was orchestrated, if you will, by uh, Mr. Gowan himself, too. No so shit. That, oh, yeah, it is. It's not just in the coal mining <laughs> industry, if you will. And it's a, uh, yeah. Yeah. Talk talk to me, Kate. The
3: the railroad um, went into bankruptcy twice under his leadership. And at the very end, when he finally stepped down, guess who took over?
1: Was it Lyndon?
2: J.P. Morgan, baby.
1: What? All right. (laughs) Iron Man himself. (laughs) Yeah, Gallen was trying um, to take um, the Reading Railroad and become a... A major railroad, not just something local in Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey kind of a thing, but nationwide. And of course, uh, J.P. Morgan had other ideas because he was another railroad tycoon that, uh, you know, it's uh, that half a percent that's fighting with the other half, you know, the half a percent kind of a thing. We literally can't do an
2: episode on Morgan because the show's called American Loser. And that guy, I don't think he ever lost he has a couple. Even when you think he's losing, he's still winning. Morgan was a fascinating dude. Go up to the Pete Look up the people who lost against him. Uh, it's pretty much everybody. Right. <laughs> right. We are the exactly. United States of J.P. Morgan. Um, oh God. <laughs> real quick, did you guys have anything else you wanted to throw in there before we? Because this has been a great episode. We're running a little bit long here, but uh, I do appreciate. Because this topic's too nuts. We I didn't want to give. We need a little nuance for the show, so I apologize for that one. But um, needed
0: the wiggle room.
2: Real quick, I just want to plug a couple dates that are coming up here. Uh, guys, if you're listening to this show, the show is going to be coming out on, uh, Tuesday the 21st. If you want, uh, up at, uh, from, uh, it's not Jack Kehoe's, but it's Mahoney's Pub up in, uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. I'm going to be performing at Laugh It Up Comedy Club with my pal Pat Dixon, who's been on the show before. One of the most controversial appearances we had on the show. Um, what other dates I got coming up? Uh, Tap House, uh, 15 in Jefferson. I'll be there on Thursday the 30th. Uh, did you know that if you plug the dates on this, it counts as promotion. It can be a write-off on your taxes, Kate. Jefferson what? Oh Jefferson, New Jersey. Good no, point. Thank, thank you. Uh, also, uh, June 7th, I'll be at uh, Reds in Carlstadt, New Jersey, right there in the shadow of Giant Stadium. And then uh, I forgot to write the other details down for June. But uh, follow me on uh, at sucks on Instagram and Twitter. Kp Burke over on Facebook. The show has its own Instagram account it's called The American Loser Podcast. Please check us out on that one. I want to say thank you so much to my dad for coming on the show, Dad. Any final words? Yeah, I
1: think we got it.
2: I hear this was a good one here, and of course, cousin Kate, bringing the fucking facts, making me look dumb yeah, on my yeah, own yeah. show.
4: <laughs>
3: I didn't. Uh, sorry. I mean,
2: no. I need it. Come That's back funny. every episode. <laughs> that damn That's book book I learning it.
3: It. <laughs> I'll be in my garden planting tulips. Yeah, no, we no, wanted to get
2: you <laughs> out of here as soon as possible. Tulips. <laughs>
1: tulips <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you that was cool I, I <laughs> offered to put bring the taties in there get them taters going you and your word no. right what was the flower no, you told I, me to bring
3: no it's funny oh, Those uh, hyacinths yeah I had no, no clue what
1: that was I
2: thought you were when
3: raised. a few years back some guy was like, hey, I have this job for planting tulips. Do you want the job? And, I'll, and you know, me, I was like, oh, my God, I would love to get played, paid to plant tulips. And he was like, plant your tulips right here.
1: Uh.
2: <laughs> and
3: I was like, God damn it. I totally <laughs> fell for that.
2: Uh, and that guy's name was? <laughs> McBride. <laughs> uh, I didn't know you knew Harvey Weinstein. That's crazy. Um, oh, God brutal on that one. Uh, Kahuna, thank you so much. Uh, Cousin Kate, thanks for coming on the show. Come back anytime, for real. You know you're one of the best.
3: Um, I'm happy to be here.
2: No, you gave up a Sunday for us here too, LP. Thanks for making me love history, man. This one was very fun. Um, Kahuna, thank you for doing what you do, behind the ones and twos, buddy. Always And, uh, and thank you for putting the guns out today, bud. All right, I appreciate it. <laughs> a nice sleeveless effort here today from our sound engineer. The right
1: to bear arms. And uh, thank you. For, <laughs> that, that was good.
2: <laughs> and thank you to uh, Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Uh, this was great, guys. And uh, on that note, guys, uh, my name is KP Burke, and that was the Molly Maguires, American losers.